Lord have mercy, look at how Welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am your host, the American in Norway, John Allen. And today I have a very, for me anyway, a very interesting guest. Uh, her name is Miss Joy Linsky. How you doing, Joy? All right, how you doing, John? I'm doing well. Now, here in Norway, it is uh, precisely three minutes after eight in the morning, but you, now you say this is your afternoon. You're in Virginia, and it's uh, just yeah. after two in the morning there. Mm-hmm. So you've kind of, you, yeah. you, you've got an upside down uh, day rhythm. <laughs> yeah, I have actually always been sort of a night owl. Starting around 12 years old, I just stopped being able to sleep at night, and usually four or five in the morning is my... Yes. Preferred time to go to sleep. So you miss those beautiful Virginia sunrises then. Or maybe you're catching, maybe you're going to bed right as they're happening, actually. Sometimes I make it past on my, more (laughs) as I get older. (laughs) I tell you, that's one of the most beautiful parts of the country. I told you before in a conversation, I was a truck driver for about a year and a half after my time in the U.S. Marines. And and I did a lot of driving in that part of the country. That whole area between I-95 and I-81 in Virginia, that whole area, the Roanoke, uh, yeah, everything in there is just so dark yeah. and beautiful. It is beautiful, and we are pretty well known for the Blue Ridge Parkway, where yes. over a million visitors every year come and see the fall colors, and as they're, they're unreal. I mean, most of them don't even look like colors you'd expect to see in nature, just bright yeah. red and yeah. orange. Absolutely amazing. I, wanna, I live in those mountains. I'm a little bit outside of Roanoke. Yeah. Basically, if you if you stood on the Roanoke Star and looked out to the east, you'd see a couple mountains, and I'm behind those. <laughs> You're behind the mountains. That's where we'll find yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. I want to jump right into now. We're going to talk about a few different things. We're just going to go where the conversation okay. leads us. But I want to I want to tell people who are listening the main reason why I contacted you. Uh, I call you the meme queen of the South. Also meme, M-E-M-E, not mean. You're not mean, but meme queen of the... You, I I found out about you a couple years ago, maybe three years ago. It's hard for me to remember exactly how long ago, where you had a whole series of memes that were kind of going, kind of poking fun at the further right side of the political spectrum with the don't, don't tread on me flag. And your yeah. little, your twist and take on that—that uh, that was some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen on social media. How did that come yeah. about? Because that went viral several times over. Um, that's there's been a few times that that meme has kind of cycled through, and of course, it really got going um, after the election of Barack Obama and the. Um, surprise entry <laughs> of the tea party into the into the mix and i mean i live in a county that's like 96 percent independent but these aren't um you know they're not bernie sanders independents they're tea party independents so right. Um, right that's a flag that i see a lot uh you know there's the 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 real one the don't tread on me version yeah um yeah but there's been a few times that it cycled through, and the very last time that it cycled through was actually um, around the time that the Bundys took over the, I call it the birdhouse in the west of 
America. Oh, yeah, um, that was a family that had a dispute with the federal government over grazing yeah, land, was it not? Yeah, yeah. grazing land, right. yes. And, and those people went, they got a whole following out there. There was like a whole tent city that came out to that, to their land right. and was protesting, waving right. the guns around and whatnot. Yeah. Right. Well, I was part of a group of people that were the opposite of that. And <laughs> the guys, they, they made some, a few critical mistakes, like they didn't bring food and, and, um, they apparently forgot coffee and creamer and things like that. You're talking so about the Bundy. You're talking about, about a, you're talking about the Bundy supporters the forgot. With with the Bundys, so they went and took over this Federal Reserve uh, building and land, and they forgot to bring snacks. So I was a part of a group, a um, couple thousand people at one time that were that called themselves Snacks for Y'all Qaeda. <laughs> yes, now it's now it's fallen in place. That's right. Those people were right. ridiculed because they went out there and camped out and had nothing to eat or drink. Now I remember. Yes, yes, yes. So Snacks for y'all, Kate. Recycling men, <laughs> and a few times it's come around. Of course, right around um, inauguration time for Donald Trump, it popped up again because that kind of seems to inflame the Tea Party types and. You know, any little thing, of course, probably 20 times when Barack was president, that they would get upset about um, thinking someone was coming to take their guns. Right. Any, any kind of uh, faux liberty cries for justice when there's really not any needed has kind of inspired that meme to pop up and circle around again. <laughs> there seems to be a phenomenon. Now, now, first of all, I want to make it clear. I, I don't fault anyone for their political opinion. Uh, <laughs> what I do raise an eyebrow on and what I will poke fun at and what I will willfully debate is when people get into the crazy, <laughs> whether that's on the left or the right. But I see right. a lot of people on the right who, you know, you, you, you mentioned uh, people getting bent out of shape about inconsequential things. Uh, for example, when Barack Obama would discuss, right. and I don't think there's anything wrong with discussing gun rights. He would right. bring up the word gun rights and then boom, the media and uh, the mainstream media and social media would just go nuts. Yeah. And then you'd see all of this talk about Obama is coming to take your guns. He didn't take anybody's guns. Gun sales went up. Gun sales went up. Gun the whole time. The whole time. Yeah. He was president. They, so, they went up. There, there, it's a phenomenon that they seem to fear a rational discussion about gun ownership. And that tells me that tells me that there is a fault in the way things are set up now when it comes to gun rights. Why would people get bent out of shape? You know, if, if somebody tells me they want to discuss um, discuss the way I dress, uh, you know, and if I know I'm dressing like a clown, I'm going to discuss it. But if I think I'm dressed right. just fine, I'm going to get offended. Why do they want to talk about right. the way I dress? So that tells me, the, yeah. The gun issue has been a lifelong one for me because, first of all, I am fairly left. But I also have, you know, I grew up here in <laughs> Southwest Virginia. Um, I could probably count three or four first dates I had that included shooting guns. So it's never really been a, an issue for me. And no. that kind of puts me in a weird position with some of these people that get inflamed or 
like recently, actually, where, where they did the sanctuary, unquote, <laughs> sanctuary city thing where no one mentioned taking guns, and yet, you know, you can't get three people to show up for a, a school board meeting, but the building was completely packed for these faux meetings to do nothing. I mean, there was no legality to any of that. It was just, they just wanted to proclaim themselves gun sanctuary cities, which has no meaning at all. And I've run into so many people and arguments over the years where, you know, when I'm coming from a position of, I don't have anything against guns. No, me neither. Me neither. Where there are bears and you better have something if you're going to be out (laughs) here. you know, poking around at night or with dogs or cattle. I mean, there's a, there's nobody in this neighborhood that doesn't have guns. Um, and nobody's taking them away. (laughs) uh, I don't have anything against them. So what's the argument? They seem to melt down. I've had, I I have a lot of locals that'll come to my wall. If I make a comment about guns, you know, who's coming to take your guns? Well, they'll come and, Show me their guns. Here's here's the guns I have, and I'm like, well, you know, that's that's a nice gun. <laughs> and then they say, well, you know, uh, the governor wants to take our guns, and I'm like, well, when did the governor say that? I mean, can you show me the video or give me an article? Well, I mean, you know, they want to, and and they're always surprised to hear that, you know, I own guns or that I've been around them all my life, and like. Why does that surprise you? Well, th- that I, issue. I live in an area where that's what people do here. You know, and, and that whole issue has turned into such a black and white thing. Either you are, of, of course, there are some nuances, but the, 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 the thing that gets the most light of day is this black and white thing that either you are uh, one of them idiots who's going to have an AR-15 strapped to your back at Walmart, or... You want to take everyone's gun away, either or. And people don't understand that you can be left-leaning, you can be a, a, a liberal, and and have guns. You know, I don't consider myself a liberal. I'm kind of a, I'm just a free thinker, and I'm going for what's right. You know, within the political right. spectrum. And when I say right, I mean correct. I mean. I'm going for what is correct within the political uh, right. the po- political spectrum. Uh, but I do believe in gun ownership. Uh, living here in yeah. Norway, they have very strict laws. There's no such thing as concealed carry. Uh, or open right. carry, and there's is very restrictive about being able to own a pistol. And I'll say that I miss owning a gun. You know, I'm a former yeah. police officer in the states. Right. I miss being armed. Yeah. I miss that. And 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 some people will just get their brain all twisted up when I say that that I have rather right. rather liberal leaning tendencies in my opinions, right. and yet I'll say that I miss being able to carry a gun with me. Right. I completely understand it. I mean, yeah, I grew up in, in Roanoke. So I grew up in Roanoke City, and I'm a city girl at heart, I guess. So even that being said, I moved out to the country on purpose. Why, um, why is that? Uh, you know, it was just that I guess I'm, I'm, guess I'm the kind of person that just likes the peace and the solitude. Yeah. I have a real kinship with the mountains, and I prefer to be in I guess it's kind of a protected thing because we do have a lot of crazy weather and, and things sometimes. And I live in a spot where half of the time there are like tornadoes blowing around the yeah. area and, and it's not even raining at my house. So now are you, it's just a peaceful existence. Now are you, are you up high up in the mountains or are you down in the valleys in between? 
Um, I'm actually kind of on a knoll. Um, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm completely surrounded by mountains. I'm literally sitting in the cradle of the Blue Ridge Mountains. The parkway is on the other side of the highway from where I'm at. Okay. Um, and the highway is, yeah, I drive on a mile and a half of dirt road to get to my house. So that's, oh, that's, that's just where awesome. I come the highway. So you can see trouble um, coming for quite a while before they get to your front door. Oh, <laughs> man, I can hear it coming for there probably half go. a mile. <laughs> Um, and neighbors, neighbors are a hundred yards left and right away. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and, you know, there is a freedom. I actually live in a place that's, a it's a landowners association, which is absolutely nothing like a homeowners association. It's the opposite of having rules. I live in a libertarian's absolute paradise. Uh-huh. Um, talk about the police. I mean, you may have run into this when, when you were, a, um, an officer, but, you know, we live in an area where the police aren't really permitted to come here unless they're called or oh, aren't permitted to serve a warrant or something like that. Now we're allowed to patrol our roads. Now, now they don't ride up and down my street. Now, when you say they're not allowed, how, how help me to understand that? How can the police not be allowed to go in a certain area? Because basically once you come off of the pavement, you're, in somebody you're you're on private property you're in a driveway aha uh-huh, there you go even though there's 35 houses up here in this landowners association the minute you come off of that paved highway the city run the city maintained part um, right. you're, you're on a driveway so you, they don't even have permission to sit there and you know catch cars going by on the on the railroad. so that is a perfect display of the citizens right to privacy it's just kind of expanded from you know in the city you might have you know your house of so many square feet you've got your exactly. front door black back right. door and you have a little uh, postage stamp sized yard mm-hmm. but here you guys as private property encompasses a rather large land area yeah, we're so then the rights of you know when it comes to search and seizure apply yeah. just in a bigger way very interest interesting interesting yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Interesting. I, I mean, I like the freedom and I like the peace. And you know, I've got like two mirror opposite existences going here and kind of especially on the top of topic of guns because I grew up in the city and then I lived in housing projects in my city where you heard gunfire often. Uh-huh. And the, the notion there was when you heard gunfire was to, you know, protect your head, get in the floor. Um, so I've lived that side of it. Right. And then I come out here where if my neighbor's shooting his gun too long, I feel completely uh, in my rights to go out there and go, hey, knock it off. You're scaring my dogs, bro. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. And, yeah. you know, everybody's polite and tries to, you know, nobody tries to, you know, uh, bang, bang, bang everybody else to death. And, but, and, you know, I hear you're free to step out your front door and. Talk now I'm seeing you and I. You and I have a, uh, even more in common than I thought because I grew up in a uh, rural area of Ohio and then later moved to the Chicago area. So that was a, b- a big change for me in the in the in yeah. the opposite direction. You know, from the country opposite, to the city. Right. Uh, and it, there is a difference. There is a big difference. You know, actually, now that yeah. I think of it, you told me you like the Wu-Tang Clan. So I would imagine when you're I in the city, them. when you're in the city, that's when you got into right. <laughs> Okay, there we go. <laughs> because where yeah. you are is probably more, um, I don't know, Charlie Daniels band or something. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I guess I've always kind of been the person that was a little bit uh, off from what everybody around me was doing. So well, that's more fun. Yeah. Way. 
Well, I mean, I just have things I like, and I'm just not the kind of person that cares if other people don't like that. So there's a but, quote. You know, there's a lot of times where there are people out here and they're having a pool party and they're playing country music and uh-huh. out of my house and Ice Cube and everything. <laughs> I love it. Cloud, 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 things like that. I'm trying to picture Ice Cube with <laughs> a cowboy hat and boots on. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I saw a picture of him in a cowboy hat today, so it happens. So you've always, so you've always been uh, kind of on the. There's a quote from Neil Young. I love Neil Young's music. Um, I love his songwriting. And there's a quote from him from the early '70s where he said something to the effect that he has he's met yeah he's been traveling the road for so long. Now he wants to see what's going on in the ditch. You know, in other words, to get get yeah. off of that mainstream path yeah. and just kind of go your own way and find find yeah. out what's out there on that other side of things. Right. Um, I guess I've always kind of you know, always been very very left in my beliefs and. And here you are in the middle of Tea Party Country. I'm in Tea Party Country, and even now, Roanoke has actually been quote blue since the 80s but not you know it is it is everybody out here that does business there and works there so Roanoke is a a country it's actually a train town you know it's very country and 80% of the bars are are country music and that kind of Uh atmosphere and you know I grew up as the person I am now who very much you know, believes in uh, left ideas. And I grew up with, you know, 90% of friends who were raised by Republican parents who were Republicans and didn't see things the way that I did about how to treat people, you know, how what people deserve to survive. Um, uh-huh. I spent a lot of my junior high years just fighting against bullies and things like that and that attitude of, hive mind and pushing people around and so you're not afraid to ball up your fists you're not a quiet peaceful uh lefty you're not afraid to raise your fist up yeah that's actually happened a lot there was a lot of neo-nazi type stuff in the city where i grew up and that is probably one of the main reasons why i kind of escaped out to the country where that stuff is really still here but at least hidden and you know, I mean, it's 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 everywhere. But I, I did spend a lot of of my younger years, and probably almost up to age twenty, just in complete opposition of some of the things that I saw. And now, when you say in opposition, have you been active in any kind of organized protest groups, or is this just in your day to day life where you where you show your opposition? Have you been in any kind oh. of organized protests or anything? Any groups? It's been a while because of, you know I've had some health problems in the last um, seven or eight years, but up until then I was always pretty vocal about about issues, you know, social issues and you know, politics, financial issues, and school. I mean, yeah, you know, when my kids were going through school, I have I have two sons actually, and they are thirty one and twenty six this year, so. Fortunately, I got to bring my kids up before every kid had a phone in their hand. But you know, there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. a lot of issues out here where I ran into kids being taught 
wrong lessons about history. Things I ran into myself as a kid. Like what, for example? Me. What kind of what kind of history? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but uh, no, no. And, and, uh, what kind of what kind of wrong teaching of history have you seen? Because it does that does um, exist. It it does, and it's jaw dropping sometimes. It, I'm just going to be completely honest and say that as when I was nine years old. You know, we're in Virginia, so we're around all this Civil War history and um, plantation history. And at nine years old, they took us to a plantation out here somewhere. Now, I've been up to the Booker T. Booker T. Washington's plantation isn't very far from where I live at all. Okay, interesting. But when, I, when, I, when I was a kid, you know, this was the country, so you didn't come out of here. <laughs> um, but at nine years old, uh, we went on a field trip and... You know, they took us around the plantation house and the opulence and the, you know, still staged um, wealth and the beauty of the house and comfort. And then they took us out to the slave quarters where there was a dirt floor and you can see holes through the walls. And I was nine years old. And, you know, the only question I had is, why is it so dark and dirty in the floor? There's dirt floor uh -huh. out here. And the teacher then explained to me that that was because, you know, the people lived in those houses that took care of the people in the big houses. And my question to her was something along the lines of, you know, well, why were... Okay, yeah, we lost uh, our video and our sound feed, everybody, but now we're back. There you are. Uh, do you hear yeah. me now, Joy? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now we were talking about your experience. You were nine years old and you were on a field right. trip at the slave quarters and the teacher right. was telling you why the quarters were so dark and, and dismal. And, um, you know, basically my question was, why were things so different for these two groups of people? And her reply to me was to not to worry that the people who lived in the slave houses were happy with their lot in life. And, that was the word she used to me, and Amazing. I was, even at nine, was like, that's just not possible. Amazing. You know, that, yeah, even a nine-year-old knows that that's just not, that can't yeah. be. You know, a, a nine-year-old, children understand fairness, if anything. Absolutely. You know, that, children that's, are that's preoccupied with are about. <laughs> children are preoccupied with fairness to this day uh but my yeah. kids one of them's a teenager one of them's a preteen and if you give yeah. one of them one scoop more of ice cream than the other there's going to be a fight they know about oh, fairness that's right <laughs> i mean know. that's especially kids with siblings and i oh, had two Lord. And <laughs> your, your whole life is about what's fair and i remember just kind of bucking up to her and you know Get in a little bit of trouble because I was being a little uh, mouthy about, you know, just tell me the truth, what's going on here kind of thing. Yeah. Nobody's happy. Nobody's happy living out here on a dirt floor when these people are in the other house with, you know, this wonderful, beautiful place and comfortable furniture. And, and um, I went home that night and found out that my mother, who was, you know, my mother was extremely religious and, uh, you know, kind of. And she didn't really talk about some of the experiences that she had growing up, but my mother was older. She was born in 1937, mm. and she was deeply affected by some of the things that she had witnessed. Okay, I um, can imagine, yeah, back in those days. She, she kind of, just at nine, you know, laid out a lot of things for me, and um, it led me down the road to going to the library and picking up books 
you know, Frederick Douglass and Sajar yeah. Truth and uh-huh. really figuring out two important things. And one of those things was that teachers and educators do lie or misrepresent things when they have their own biases. And that I lived in a place where people were kind of okay with that. And interesting that kind of changed my whole outlook and where so, you know, i focus the rest so you have this awakening through self-education which i think is mm-hmm. an interesting thing i'm a believer in self-education so you found uh, so to speak the truth of that whole situation when it came to slavery and 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 uh, and then modern race relations you find that truth I'd already been around, you know, I, you know, even at nine, I'd already had enough of, you know, having like a white supremacist uh, people around in the area or the neighborhood or the places that I went as a kid, the, uh-huh. the flea market and things like that, um, that, you know, it was something that, that it just never, I don't know, it was always like physically aversive to me to see not yeah. just race issues, but people being bullied or pushed. And, you know, for the longest part of my life, I was actually a very shy kid. But the whole, you know, finding out that things weren't like, you know, things weren't fair. Life wasn't fair for some people. Uh-huh. And all of that really changed. You know, I went from being a kid who hardly spoke to the person I am now who, <laughs> doesn't really care if you uh-huh. like it or not. If I see somebody just bullying, I, mean, I had a really big problem with bullying, and it, it just always drove me crazy because I was a redhead, and redheads, males specifically, got it really bad. And that is a thing that a lot of people don't realize, but redheads catch a lot of hell. They do they, they do. do? Yeah. My mother did. Uh, I was adopted, by the way, but I was adopted as a baby, and. I think the best thing that ever happened to my mother was that she got a redheaded baby and it was just like the best thing that ever happened to her. She wanted a baby so bad and they did took foster kids in for a lot of years to, to earn the credit to get a baby and, and she got this redheaded baby and she never let me forget that, yeah. you know, that it was a special thing and beautiful and, you know, I, I wasn't raised thinking that, that it was a bad thing. So when I seen, you know, other redheads being bullied for it, I was like, you know, what is this? Yeah, I don't feel bad. You can't make me feel bad about my hair. <laughs> yeah, of all things, of all things to try right. to get somebody uh, to, to get somebody on their hair color. Good, right? What? The, <laughs> so, so I've you, heard, you know, so so I've you heard all the things. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. So you are kind of alone <laughs> when it comes to your thoughts and opinions on some major subjects in the country. Are you do you, do you get along well with your neighbors? Do you catch any do you catch any hate from them for your opinions? Because um, we are in a time where people see. I I miss being able to have a rational discussion with somebody. I had a guest on. Uh, um, was it my last guest or my previous guest on the podcast? Uh, he's a guy who's actually running for president, and he had some mm-hmm. ideas that I was totally against. But we were able to have a discussion. There was no yelling, right. no name calling. And I miss that because it seems like the minute you have an opinion that differs from someone else, the name calling starts, the hatred starts, the, the, 
Yeah. So how, how are you experiencing being someone who is rather isolated um, with your mindset? I, I think my whole life and the things I just explained to you and kind yeah. of being an outlier yeah. and, and really prepared me for it, but it's still shocking. You know, I have most of my friends that I grew up with, you know, they are all really hard, right? And they're are the you still in contact with them? Uh a few, you know, I do, I do keep a few around that I just don't cross that line with, and they don't cross that line with me. Um, if they so you, do, so you avoid talking about you, the issues where you differ that you differ on. I don't really avoid it. It's just that we, when I say a few, I mean like maybe three people. I have really over the last few years, just like you said, gone from what I thought was adult discourse over even issues that we didn't agree with to the hatred and the confrontational stuff. And I mean, to just put it lightly, that's not really something that people do a lot to me okay. because they know that I'm coming back <laughs> and I'm probably going to say things that are more truth than they have. And I don't mind reading and, and you don't mind reading. <laughs> you don't mind yeah. reading and finding facts. No, I, I don't mind <laughs> well, producing some... citations and things like that. So I have to um, laugh because a lot of people do seem to be against reading and fact gathering. A lot of people are against that self information, that self education thing. And it, it, you know, I can laugh about it, but it really yeah. is pathetic. It really is sad. It is. And that's not saying but anything I laugh about it too. Yeah. I oh. laugh about it too. And one of the things that I tell people is that, and this is the truth. I have gotten hundreds and hundreds of death threats in my life just from, from everything from, you know, gun issues to yeah. you know, anything that that it, that comes with being a different political ideology than most of the people around you. But I've gotten death threats for nothing as much as suggesting right. someone read something. Amazing. I mean, that is where it gets ugly. Well, I believe you it because it does get ugly out there. People are yeah. extremely intolerant of an opposing thought. But but right. again, you're at an advantage because you'll see that trouble come in a mile or so before they get to your front door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've got a reputation of being, you know, known enough that, you know, I'm, I'm never just going to sit and guess at things, you know. I've always been a reader, so I can read a 500-word article in three minutes. So I will go out and find those facts and bring yeah. them back yeah. to the argument. Well, I like, and, staying, I like staying informed. I do. A lot yeah. of people are going to knock you if you... Um, if you, if you, you know, if it becomes known that you even watch the news, uh, yeah. now I get that to a certain extent because you yeah. do have certain news feeds that go over into the propaganda area. Yeah. Uh, so if you are a, if you are a, a, an avid follower of Fox News or an avid follower right. of CNN and that's the only news source, well, yeah. you probably are going to have a problem being properly informed. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm a really critical thinker, though. Yes. And at almost any turn, I can even, you know, I can hear bias in my own voice and I can recognize and admit when, you know, something that is an experience that I've had in life is affecting uh, a debate or conversation and or even say, you know, I can't really, I can't really get my boss. I can't really be objective about this. So 
I don't really feel like I can I can continue to argue this point. Then you I have to go right. I'm already right. Who knows? Yeah, you can't you know, be afraid but, to kind of be quiet for a second and go back and, and, and gather more information. That's what I try yeah. to do. If I'm not fully informed, I'm not going to say I won't discuss things that I'm not fully informed because that discussion can lead to enlightenment. But I'm always, not going to set my feet, plant them in the concrete and say I'm not budging on this opinion if yeah. I know that I don't have my facts together. I'm not afraid I, to get more information. Right. That's there important. Are some That's really critical. Wild things that I've like, like nine um, eleven is the one that frequently comes up because, of course, I am surrounded by people who have conspiracy theories yeah. about things like that. Yeah. And you know, years ago, I, I mean, I read the nine eleven report. I, I I look into things. I don't ever just sit and wonder. No. Um, and I educate myself every chance I get. And like six years later, someone said something to me that made me go, huh. I think I'm better go back. And about that. <laughs> we ended up having like a nine day long debate about this with this person. But at the end of it, I determined that everything I knew to begin with was probably still the case. Uh -huh. But uh -huh. I did go back and look. I mean, if somebody says something that triggers a question in my mind, I'm going to go look for it. Yeah, go down that road and, and see where it leads. It might lead to... Yeah. <laughs> something that's a bunch of baloney, but it might lead to a few few new thoughts that are then going to branch Absolutely. out. Absolutely, yeah. So you you're not afraid to read, but you are also a writer. Am I correct? You have yes, yes correct. Yeah. What have you What I have you done a, there? Um. Well, I have a published book. I'm actually uh, when I was still in Rogue, I went to college for psychology, and I ended up writing a book that was based on grieving and processing grief because of some of the things that I've been through as a young person and several losses of young friends. And um, it's really the focus that I put into the education that I had was reading and, you know, I mean, kind of how I, how I am now, which is just reading into other people and, yeah. and, and staying aware of things and, so the education that I got, I, I, I used it, instead of using it the way I really had intended to, which was to be a counselor or somewhere like, like that, I kind of used it to learn to be a better writer and to focus on the psychology of, of humans when I, when I have conversations and bring up subjects and debate and okay. deal with issues. Like the issue I was going to get to because the wrong thing that my children were being taught that I found out and a friend of mine's child was being taught in our local schools and this is up here where I live now was going back to that same um you know Virginia is very proud of its history of being to you know the state of two capitals of the confederacy and you know all of these things and uh -huh. man if I hate anything like a subject, I will read anything, but I really have never liked war subjects. Like, I don't really like to read about World War II or the Civil okay. War. No. But I have become a, like an amateur uh, historian about okay. the Civil War, just having to read and go behind people to get the truth. I see. So I found out that the local school was teaching their children. And it was actually came home on a test to me. So I saw it with my own eyes. And my best friend's son had gotten the question wrong. And that's what I focused on. And the question was, 
were the Africans who were brought to Jamestown indentured servants or were they slaves? Oh, boy. And he, and he had checked uh, slaves. And he was right. He, but they said he was wrong. But they said he was wrong. And I was like, you know, <sighs> this is one of those things that you were just talking about where the refusal to educate yourself. Okay, look, Jamestown doesn't say that the people who come here were indentured servants. They actually have the slave block. You yes. know, they still have that. And it's got, you know, history and information all over it. So I was like, you know, why are these people going against the history that the state has even admitted to? There's a, there's a, well, there's a phenomenon out there. And I see it in some individuals that I come across in my day-to-day -day life where people, you, you can almost look at it like some people who support uh, President Trump. Where, uh, and I'm not saying this is a this this applies to everyone who supports him, but I know there are some people who voted for that man, thinking he would be best the best thing for the country. But they're not stupid, and they've seen some things, and they've come to the conclusion that this guy is a nut job, and he's terrible right. for the country. But they'll never admit it, and the reason they won't admit it because then. By admitting that they made such a colossal judgment error, they have to admit that they made a colossal judgment error and they don't, their psyche will not allow them to put themselves in that so-called subjugated position of being wrong. And I right. wonder if we can expand that and then apply it to these people who try to put out false information about the history of, for example, slavery. They don't want right. to admit, you know, for someone to stand there and say that the slaves in these quarters were happy with their lot in life. Right. I, I doubt that the people who are teaching that are stupid. There's another motive behind them teaching that. I don't, right. I think they, they don't want to admit that they or their ancestors had this wrong idea about what slavery right. was all about. They just don't want to admit it, regardless of the facts. They don't want to admit that they were wrong. Absolutely. And, you know, I have another, you know, I have another theory about, uh, you know, as I mentioned to you the other day, growing up where I grew up, you know, Donald Trump was the in, the nemesis of the South. He was a the Yankee, Northern, a, yeah. a rich Yankee. And just the things that I've heard all my life about this person and then every person around me ran and voted for him. And, you know, I, it was like when I saw him coming on the escalator, I just knew, <laughs> uh-oh, you know? I was like, man, this is not going to be good. And the thing that I've actually told even several of my friends who have who voted for him, and that is the thing that I think a lot of people voted for Donald Trump, people I know personally, so I can't speak for anyone else, but because he tends to let people be the worst versions of themselves well he shows people the that it's okay to be a horrible person he's a horrible to, person but he's the president of the united states yeah down on people yeah. and you know the south is about this whole um you know politeness and everybody's really gentle and sweet uh -huh. with each other and under that is this really raw bitter hate yeah. and and there's a lot of there's a lot of uh denial like you were just saying about the history and people feeling blame for things that maybe they don't feel responsible for and it, it kind of keeps us where we're at which is that ends 
at odds with each other. Well, I think the South has built up this pride in their Southern heritage, and there's nothing wrong with being proud of your heritage. But what some people can't come to terms with in the South is that a big part of that heritage heritage is rooted in slavery and the benefits of slavery. And some people just can't come to grips with that. They can't. And I can't even tell you how many people I have explained, like the concept of generational wealth and how things still affect people. Yes. And... And, you know, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, I don't feel bad to talk about that with someone. I don't feel responsible. I know, you know, the, I know the responsibility in it. I know how we got here. And I know how a lot of the current attitude still keeps perpetuating that system. I do a job where I do court transcription. Yeah. So I do jobs for like federal, um, like pipeline issues and things like Mm -hmm. that. So I still get to see how there are things like environmental racism and how pipelines will, a pipeline just went through Union Hall in my my state and Union Hall was actually uh, a place where the slaves settled and everyone there is a descendant of slaves and they found a way to rewrite this pipeline around the rich white neighborhood through this area that was farmland not rich people and not poor people either. Just, you know, things like this See, still go on. And you try to and tell certain people about incidences like incidents like that. And, uh, they're going to brush it off as anecdotal. They're not going to see it as part of a systemic issue. It is a systematic thing that it, communities it, like that are just going to get dumped on <laughs> to put it bluntly. Right. And it has well, to do, it has to do with, very often with racial or, 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 um, yeah, there's racial issues behind all that. There is. And like I said, it's almost like I've become this amateur historian about the civil war, just in explaining things to people over the years, like, you know, the whole issue with the Confederate flag, that, that Confederate flag that they keep waving was never, you know, I'll go to when in a debate with someone, I'll say, well, you know, can you tell me, the battles that were flown under that flag. Can you tell me how many soldiers <laughs> died under that flag? Can you tell me who the general of that flag was? And you know why they can't? Because that flag was never a part of the Civil War. The square version was the <laughs> Army of Northern Virginia. Yeah. And, well, they didn't have a good time either. <laughs> um, but this is just a fact. I mean, and, just, and, it, and it goes back to people's... Um, lack of self-education they don't want to open a book they don't want to dig in the past and find out the roots of some of these issues people just aren't willing to do that they've got their preconceived notion glued into their brain and that's what they're going to run with yeah and you know what i don't really have a lot of sympathy for that kind of thing because i spent as a nine-year-old kid who hated really hated math and i had to learn the dewey decimal system to even find (laughs) a book at the library um I just just don't feel bad for that because <laughs> I spent a lot of money. You know what? If you this learn the Dewey Decimal, if you either. if you learn the Dewey Decimal system, they can certainly learn about the orig- origins of the Confederate flag. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty, that's pretty rough for a kid who loved sure. English and you know couldn't <laughs> couldn't do basic multiplication tables long after I should have been able to. But that was because I was too busy reading. 
and that's just what I. Well, Joy, I want to I want to ask you more about your writing. What What's the name of the book that you wrote? It was a book, right? Yes, yes. It was a. The book is called "Cover Me: Living, Loving, and Grieving Through Loss," and it was a book that was written um, with like uh, younger, young teens to young adults in mind. So it's fairly short, seventy five pages long, and it just kind of walks. You know, people. Some people make it a long time through their life before they deal with the loss of someone. Mm-hmm. And some people, unfortunately, don't make it very far. And right. dealing with grief as a as a teenager in particular, you know, before that, you, you almost don't have the full concept to really understand. Then as a teenager, a lot of teenagers are just kind of alone with that because... I was just sitting here thinking that parental guidance is very important mm-hmm. if a teenager experiences any kind of loss like that. How are the parents right. handling it to put themselves in a p- position to be able to help that child? Yeah. That's important. That's, that's exactly why I wrote it because especially if it is a loss within the family, if it's a sibling, a lot of times the parents, you know, they're dealing with their own grief and... And uh, brothers and sisters kind of get left out of, you know, the the family dynamic for a while because, God, I have to understand that if something was to happen to one of my children, I don't know what I'd be doing, but I probably wouldn't really be taking the best care of the other child that I have. I lost... I lost my son uh, to a heroin overdose back in November of 2019. That you know, where, where can I where can I find your book? I, I'm I'm going to get it and I'm going to read it. I think there's some things in there that I could uh, gain some knowledge of. Where, where can I find it? Um, you know, it used to be on Amazon. I'm not sure if it's there. Uh, Publish Publish America should have it. Um, it's called and it's called cover. Words, it's called cover me. Love, what living, did you loving, living, loving, and grieving through loss. And my, I was under my maiden name, so it was under Joy Basham, B A S H A M. It's like pink. It's mauve colored book. Okay, I'm going to look that up and see if I can find it. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that that book alone will lead me to having you back on for an episode. I've been wanting to 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 share my. I've already shared my my experience with losing my son to a certain degree, but to be able to talk about what I've I, what I've experienced after reading a right. book like that, I think it's going to open some doors, or it's going to open my eyes to some new things. I, I would imagine. Yeah, um, like I said, it was it was geared towards younger folks. Just be, just in the size of the book, you know, uh-huh. when uh-huh. when you're young, you're not going to read a three hundred, four hundred page book. Uh-huh. Like I'd be glad to, um, but you know, like I said, people deal with grief at different ages and their experience with it yeah. at different ages. And I just thought that it was really important to share how you know. I don't know. A lot of us are taught that that it's almost like maybe this is a southern thing too. That it's almost a point of shame to to grieve for someone for too long, or you know, uh, you should be doing this or doing that. And it is so important to understand that that grief has no guidelines. That there's no time limit. That that you can never grieve too long. That. Yeah. 
um, you know, the, the way that I've judged grief and, and even with my own losses, my, I lost my father very shortly after I had an open heart surgery. So I was in a bad place. Wow. Um, and I'm very sorry for the loss of your son. I've been through thank, some thank of you. the, some, I, I, I did see that and I did read your post, you know, and I had and, to do that. And, I was uh, cut out of the whole, uh, burial and fu yeah. funeral process so i needed to do something i felt like I, and, and normally i don't uh put that much personal stuff out there right. <clears throat> on social media but i felt like i had to write my eulogy or my memory of of him if you will um I'm, and i'm glad i did it was a freeing process it was a freeing process and i also put a lot of that experience into my music um there's okay yeah, there's a couple of the one of the one of my songs. I don't know if you've heard the um, uh, the one called Sunday Ten O'clock that I have out there. Oh, yeah. um, that does song explain all of the love and peace and things that I heard <laughs> in your music. Though, so that's totally a big part of it. Now. It's a big part of it. I, I try. I try to be a loving and peaceful man, and I get that from my grandmother. Uh, may she rest in peace. Uh, she died in 2012, I believe it was. <clears throat> um, uh, a very kind-hearted soul, gentle Southern lady right. like yourself from the hills of Kentucky. And I try to carry on her way of living life in peace. She was so happy and peaceful constantly, all the time. Right. So anytime, if I lose my cool, if I lose my shit, as the yeah. saying goes, and, 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 <laughs> and have to raise my voice, lose my temper, I always think, okay, wait a minute, grandma wouldn't act like this. And, and, right. that, and that brings me back down. So I try to right. emulate her way of getting through life. So that's where the peace comes, comes from. Uh, that's good. I was, I was actually, you know, happy. I'm not, you know, I'm aware of people, you know, anybody that's on my friends list, I, I have awareness of, who they are and how they are and that's the kind of things they share. And I did notice that you shared that you shared a lot of that and I was really happy for you that you did because I know Thank you. I know a lot about the situation that you were dealing with from dealing with some of that of my own. Yeah. Um and you know, you you did a good job. I mean you have to you you have to deal with those Things. You can't put them aside because just like any other problem that causes pain, if you don't deal with it, it's just going to still be there when you come yeah, back. I, I, I look at physical pain and emotional or mental pain in, in the same way. That pain, uh, the pain that you feel might have a source that you didn't expect. So you've got to explore that pain, find out where it's coming yeah. from, and fix it at its source. If you don't fix it at its source, if you're just staying on the surface of things, you know, you got an yeah. itch on your skin, and if you just lotion it up, but that itch is always there, well, maybe there's something under the skin yeah. you need to worry about. So that's, the, that I, I try exactly to tackle. That's exactly how I am. Yeah, yeah. That's so exactly I, how I am. I can't just leave things. If something needs to be dealt with, I have to deal with have it. Have to. Can't just, can't just put it aside. That's probably the biggest bane of my husband's existence, by the way. That uh, uh, you know, if, if there's a little problem or a little argument, I'm like, no, we're going to deal with that right now. We're not going to forget about that for <laughs> ten minutes, and then and then just it's going away. You know, <laughs> just tell him about everything. If there's there's something that hurts or, like you said, that digs away, you have to you deal gotta, with that because if you you've got to get it, it at its never roots. Going away until you do. Exactly, you've got to get it at yeah. its roots. Um, yeah.
Yeah. So grief, grief is a very individual thing. Grief must be dealt with. <laughs> if you don't deal with it, it will eat you up. Um, yeah. This now, this is this the only book that you've written, or have you written other works? This is the only book that I've written, and you know, I've got a lot of people on me right now about writing another book. And oh, yeah. I just yeah, just two or three days ago, me and my husband finally kind of got our junk together and have started the process of starting a brand um, a little bit to get that process started. You know, I've got blogs and things out there all over the place. So if you, you know, if you Googled my name, you'd, you'd find everything, everything, everything yeah. that you could imagine writing about. Yeah. I do have a lot of grief work out there and psychology articles and things like that, but I also have a lot of, you know, how to make a WordPress post thing that's out there too so yeah i kind of left the corporate world in 2001 and since then i've been freelance by using my writing skills um in passive, passive income yes absolutely yeah. passive income that's, i love that concept <laughs> i love it too <laughs> it's, that is what we what i'd actually been talking to my husband about like you know he's he's dealing with the pandemic and layoff and everything right now and i'm like you know, we need got to get some passive income out here because... What kind of work was your husband doing before? Um, he is a sheet metal journeyman, so he he builds uh, HVAC piping. Okay. Know, I would imagine do. that industry yeah. is on hold for the moment, I would think. You would think. <laughs> <laughs> it is not. Um, there are some elements. I, I think, you know, there's like... Uh, his particular company is essential work, they say. So okay. a lot of the guys, a lot of those guys are working, but because I'm a vulnerable in a vulnerable demo and have heart problems and have you know I'm a heart patient, he has been laid off because of my situation, so that okay. he doesn't risk me. I see. Because I am one of those people who, you know, when you have an open heart surgery, your pericardial sac is destroyed and it's yeah. sac that open to infection. Heart. Open to infection. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's, uh, you know, uh, I hope people take this seriously. I have uh, pretty, uh, pretty violent asthma. Uh, I mean, it's under control with medication, but it is asthma. Right. So if I get this virus, I can imagine I'm going to suffer. This is a virus that goes yeah. on the lungs. So I'm, I've been careful. I've been inside since the 10th of March. I have too. I, I think it went the twelfth. The twelfth. I've yeah. been in this house since the twelfth of March, but yeah. Fortunately for me, I don't really get cabin fever or anything like that. I kind of like my. I like I, my peaceful. I had a little wave. I had a little wave, like a two-day wave of. Yeah, let's just call it depression. I was just kind of down. Uh, and yeah. this was just about three or four days ago. But but all of a sudden it was there. But all of a sudden it was gone. But other than right. that. I've been in a way enjoying, not in a way, I have been enjoying this yeah. time. It is, for me, it has been a time of reflection and creativity. Yeah. I've done a lot of writing. Uh, yeah. I've done a lot of work in the studio with my music. I've had some very cool and interesting podcast guests. So I'm fortunate cool. I'm able to, to kind of continue doing my thing in this period. But yeah. I know there are people out there who are suffering. Uh, there's, there's people here in Norway. People think of Norway as this 
democratic socialist paradise where everybody is taken care of and everybody have has money to a certain extent that is very true but there are some people who are falling through the cracks i know some people who are in trouble you know financially they don't they don't have a job now and they don't qualify for the social benefits that are available here these are crazy times these are rough times for some people they are there and that is certainly the case here you know the 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 great thing about the little southwest corner of virginia that i live in is that we have the lowest cost of living it's it's wonderful it's been that way since since i got here uh 40 some years ago Uh um but that also means that incomes are a little lower and you know than some of the northern virginia areas so the people that are out of work but are really if, if if a person can get that passive income thing going, then yeah. living living in a <laughs> low cost of living area like you do, yeah. you could live. A person could live pretty well, I would imagine. Absolutely, that's that's exactly what I've been trying to tell him, and I finally got him motivated to get on board. And in there turn, you go. <laughs> he, he kind of pushed me when when I was like where you just said you were, just having a few of those days where. He didn't really want to get up off the couch very much. And, yeah, yeah. And he said, "Well, yeah, I'm ready to do something." I said, "Well, let's let's do that then." What kind of so what kind of passive gonna, income are you thinking about? Are you able to say what it is, or will it kind of mess things yeah, up if you vocalize sure. um, it? Well, I've had a lot of people, kind of like you, were talking to me the other day about, um, you know, the voice that I use in the situation that I'm in, and they're always saying. You know, why don't you write a book about some of the things you say? And I'm like, how can I write a book about some of the things I say? Because, you know, they're random Um, and, you know, current events. And and I finally was like one day, you know, I I think I've got it. I think I've figured out that I can use that voice in a way that, I joke with people and I say, I'm not a hillbilly, I'm a hill William because I'm educated. <laughs> I love it. Uh, not a hill. Uh, I'm going to write that down. That's going in the description yeah. for this episode. Miss <laughs> 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 Joy, she's not a hillbilly, she's a hill William. That's right. I love it. So, so I've decided that I'm going to kind of embrace that. Like people have been begging me to. I mean, I guess I have, and I didn't really know until they were like, you know, you're, you know, you've got an interesting perspective because you know, I don't mind telling people that I'm a hillbilly. I love the mountains. I love sitting up here <laughs> with you know, KC and neighbor. Um, and I, and I, all my life I've done those things. I've done the shooting guns for a first date. But, you know, the, the only thing that makes me different is that I just, I guess I care about the environment and humanity. And like you're saying, I, I care that I'm, have to sit in this house and and do that so i don't get other people sick or get me sick and Uh you know um being a being having humanity is really the crazy thing that makes me so you're so you're 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 a cerebral hillbilly which makes you a hill william i like that 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 is that's awesome so so a couple people have given me a few (laughs) ideas and the thing that I finally decided on the other day, and I'll tell you because I swear I'm going to brand my name and try to try to put these thoughts into a book form that, you know, at least the people that have been begging me to do it can, can get their hands on. Yeah. And I am going to be Red Next Door. And that is a play on being a redhead and being a redneck. 
<laughs> and living out here where I've got some pretty interesting neighbors that you know, we all kind of, you know, go at each other a little bit. Uh, um, so Fred, R-E-D-N-X, door. Fred, Fred next, next door. door. Oh, so I love it. That's where we're going to start at. I could see how that would be very easy to market, very easy to brand yeah. and then market. It's it's right. an eye catcher in its written form. Uh, it's an ear catcher in its yeah. audible form. And then you have the talent, uh, based upon what I've seen on your social media, you have the talent to write the content that will make it both right. informative and humorous. And I think that yeah. that is a great combination. I, I love I love a thinking man or a woman who puts a lot of cerebral work behind humor. It's not dumb. Right. It's not it's not poop and pee jokes. In other words, right. it is things. Right. It is things that lead to thought. Things yes. that can guide a person to conclusions that they make themselves right. based upon the humor. I can see you doing that easily. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm most going to go for, and awesome. we've been doing a few different things with that, and um, one of them is that I am going to kind of play on the fact that I, you know, live out here in the country around yeah. people who like Hank Williams and George Jones, and I'm a grandma that that likes to blare, you know, Wu-Tang and Ice Cube when I watch this. <laughs> I love so it. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to do some React videos, maybe, and things like that, just to kind of keep the entertainment up and and humor. And, you know, one of the reasons why I've always tried to be kind of loud about having different thoughts and it being okay to be different is that you know, I often, so often think about the fact that out here in this little hillbilly world, there are kids like me somewhere that, you know, they've probably got Republican parents and maybe they – lean a little bit more left than that, or maybe, you know, they're different or something. My different thing was that my mother was really religious and, you know, I'm just not a religious person. No. I okay. have a problem with it. I just, uh -huh. um, I, I lean towards more, you know, the critical thinking and science aspect of life and, and existence. But I always think about when I'm making these comments to people that, you know, when they're saying maybe things that are bigoted or wrong, and what if their kid is one of those people like I was that 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 needed to know that somebody else yeah. was out there that, that that there was another was way of thinking? The yeah, felt. yeah. And I think that way a lot, you know, around because you know I was twenty five years old before I met another liberal. That should tell you something. That is. Uh... Well, that's Virginia. <laughs> yeah. Or so, so, and, southern, southern Virginia, at least uh, when you get right. away from the D.C. area. Yeah, that's 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 yeah. what that area is. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what me and my husband talk a lot. And I just told him that we were talking the other night. And I said, well, you know, you know, I had two choices, right? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, it was either rednecks or hippies. And my husband's a hippie. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I picked a hippie, you know, because, you know, hippies at least love people and and are peaceful and aren't out here uh, trying to beat each other up and, you know, enjoy good music and relaxing time. And but does redneck... My redneck but, does, so. but, but does redneck equal crazy right-winger? Does redneck equal racist? Is is there is there a, is there a, is there a, is there a mono is there a monolithical 
Yeah. What, how do you define redneck? Okay. The, uh, the real, the real term redneck, of course, means absolutely the opposite of the way it's being used now. They've kind of co-opted that uh, whole. Redneck were the hardworking guys who were called rednecks because they worked so hard in the back. Their necks yeah. were red. Yeah. From being burned in the sun, but nowadays the reason why I call myself a hillbilly or come kind of refer to myself as a hillbilly sometimes is because the hillbillies were always known for being the self-sufficient. Um, work themselves to the grave or to the salt of the earth uh, people um yeah who figured out how to do crazy things with a little bit of thing that they had and the rednecks were the city people who uh, like to come and pretend that they were country facts kind of like <laughs> i've been doing for 20 years but but that's really like out here when you're out here in virginia in the in the rural area redneck means a guy that lives in the city who probably has a truck and wears a cowboy hat. Okay, but in the city. Hillbillies, but in the and, city. Right, yeah. and the hillbillies are the people out here with me who, you know, if, don't go to the grocery store but once a month. <laughs> kind of people. <laughs> you know, I, just don't need anybody else to, to get along and, you know, we're not playing at the trucks and cowboy hats. I can, I can remember that, uh, that year, year and a half when I was truck driving. Um, I would stop at places in the South, whether it was Virginia, Georgia, wherever, different places in the South. And it was, for me, it was eye-opening in that, um, because I, I have to admit, I was a little apprehensive about yeah. <clears throat> being a black man, a black truck driver, and being in right. certain areas of the South, because some of these truck stops were very isolated, and you really felt yeah. that you were in the South. Yeah. But I can remember <clears throat> sitting in a diner eating and some of these people would be so doggone friendly. Uh, you know, pull up a chair and you sit down and eat breakfast with a total stranger uh, right. and, and everything would be just fine. And then there were right. other instances where, uh, and those were maybe the hillbillies, <laughs> but then there's other yeah. instances where maybe uh, the rednecks were, you know, they kind of they kind of get up and scoot away further down the counter, or they're right. giving dirty looks, or I hear comments over the CB radio, you know, after I get back in the truck and things yeah. like that. And it's just um, the south. The south. We nailed that. Yeah, you really know, nailed that. Yeah. That is that is the hillbillies are like. You know, they know that we're all struggling through this life together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I can't say there aren't going to be, you know, bigoted, racist people because sure, there are. Sure, a lot sure. of that is just from pure ignorance and laziness and yeah, the yeah. whole... I didn't do anything wrong theory, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the South is not a monolith. Yeah. It is. It is as yeah. varied as any other parts of the country. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like the South. That's that's where my people come from. My grandparents yeah. uh, on both sides are from the South. Uh, I lived in North Carolina for quite a while. Um, yeah. I have no problems with the South. I mean, I guess I love it. You know, I've got a. It's I've certainly got a kid beautiful. That likes to be, that guy, a kid that likes to go out to California and tell me what a liberal paradise it is and how I should get out there one day and just live around people that are more like me. And I'm like, yeah. Well, I like where I am. I yeah. like Virginia and I like the mountains. And, you know, you know, I kind of have always felt like I kind of belong here because there's not enough people 
that are willing to just jump up and say, hey, shut up with that mess. <laughs> I know what you feel. Being crazy. I know what you mean about feeling like you belong there. Now, we have, right now, we're living in a city here in Norway, kind of like right smack in the middle of a city. Uh, but it's not a city in the, in the way that you would think uh, in an American uh, context. Uh, like right now I have my uh, patio door. There's a, like a porch patio going off of my studio. Um, and that door is open and you don't hear, there's no traffic that you don't hear horns right. honking and stuff. So we're in a city, but we're, it's quiet. It's very peaceful and yeah. quiet here. So in that sense, it's okay, but I don't belong here if I can use air quotes, I feel like I belong right. at our place up north in Norway, which is a farm. Uh, we have reindeer running across our property. It's right on the ocean. Okay. It's that quiet peacefulness, that, to that, that, that connection to nature. That's where I, right. I feel something when I'm up yeah. there. So if we were to take yeah. you out of the mountains of Virginia and put you in California, you'd get along all right, but you wouldn't feel like you belong. No. There's something about where you are that you feel connected to. You know, it, it was weird because as a kid, the mountains, Roanoke is like a bowl. It is literally yeah, just is. a tiny valley yeah. and all the way around are, are mountains mm -hmm. rising up high and it looks like a bowl. Um, and I used to feel as a kid, I felt trapped by those really? mountains and like, kind of stuck in here and I wish I was out. And as an adult, I went to Florida for three weeks one time, and I felt like uh, ducks in a barrel. I just <laughs> felt out of place. I yeah. felt like I was exposed. And I realized that that's how protective these mountains are, and not yeah. just in the, not just in the, you know, they're nice to hide behind or have your house like, you know, protected, butted up against a mountain, but that they protect us from everything, like. Yeah. This is one of the safest places in this country to live. If you look at a map like of what the uh, changing earth might do in the next million years, where I live is still here and it's still untouched. Yeah. And so it, it really is, is beautiful there. It really is. It is. It is. And I am so thankful that I'm the type of person that, you know, I, I don't, like I said, I don't get cabin fever. I don't have any great desire to, to get to the city and no, no. Uh, you know go see a movie or anything i'm perfectly content in my spot and you know to, if i had my way and i'm just like yeah happy people here fresh so air fresh that, air and a little wu-tang and you're fine that's right <laughs> and, and everybody nobody lives close enough to to you know yell at me to cut that thing well, if I had my way, we would be at our place uh, up north. We would just, uh, you know, set some taters in the dirt and fish, and that would be it. Yeah. But you see, my wife won that argument, so here we are down south in Norway in the city. All right. She's a tiny right. little thing. She ain't but yay big, but she's tough, and she wins those kind of arguments. Um, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm, one, I'm, one, I'm one of those little women myself. I just got lucky, like a sister. <laughs> Um, that I married a hippie that was happy to come out to the woods with me. And, you know, I've been out here for about 20 years. It took me 20 years to get him on the Wu-Tang side, but <laughs> I got him in the last couple of years. Yeah, he told me the other day he likes Joe Walsh and, uh, and the James gang and whatnot. So that's a bit of a stretch to go from that to Wu-Tang. <laughs> and he, he's a hippie. He's a Grateful Dead following. He went to, he went to a couple of shows. I mean, he... 
his really, you know, highlights of his youth. Yeah, um, yeah. But he was a hippie. I mean, he was a tie-dye wearing, people dead loving. Is was, he originally from that area now? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're both from Roanoke. Both we, you, okay. we grew up with the same friends. Oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. So you guys go way back then. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, we had like two different groups of friends that we went to the same school, high school, deer hunt, everything. We just kind of never hung out until yeah. I was 21, and we've been married since I was 23. So Okay. Congratulations. I just had an anniversary yesterday, 19-year oh, yeah. anniversary with my wife. Yeah. yeah. Great. Congratulations. With her crazy little self. And I say crazy in a, love, <laughs> in a loving way. She is such a dynamic yeah. woman, and I love it. She keeps me on my toes. Yeah. <laughs> You, you absolutely sound like, like my husband. That's kind of the things he says about me on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I did want to ask you something about about Norway, and that is, like, yeah. there's an American that lives in Norway, and just like you said about how America seems to have this idealized, you know, notion of what Norway is, this socialist, democratic place, Um do you have like two or three things you could tell me that would surprise an American about Norway? Um, that you would told me surprise one thing the other day. You. That was you told me one thing the other day that that was pretty shocking about about the housing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have. I can say that I have experienced more direct racism here in Norway than I did back home. And if I remember right, what I told you was about yeah. how we were not able to buy a home on three different occasions. We were stopped from buying yeah. a home because I'm a black man and how that came to be. I've said, I've, I've talked about this before on other episodes, but how that came to be was that um, at that time I didn't speak Norwegian. So I spoke, would speak English with my wife at these showings for these houses. Right. Uh, I still just speak English with my wife, but at that time I had right. to because I didn't know Norwegian. <clears throat> and right. um, we'd be at these house showings speaking English. So then the real estate agent or the homeowner in a couple of uh, situations, they would assume that we didn't speak Norwegian. So they would right. say things. Right. You know, like, you know, we're not, I don't want to ruin this neighborhood. I'm not going to sell to that black so-and-so. Th th things like that. So that happened right. to us on three different occasions when we had first moved to Norway after being married. We, we were right. married and lived for about two years in the States before we moved here to Norway. So in that process of trying to find a home, three occasions. And I'm thinking, is this 1950? Uh -huh. Is this 1950 in Alabama? Right. Or, or, or is this modern Norway? So for me, right. it was shocking. For me, it was very shocking to, to experience that. And I guess I have to thank the solid upbringing that I had that gave me uh, as we talked about a certain amount of inner peace <laughs> that allowed me to experience that, but shove that aside, actually use it as a building block to climb up towards being successful right. and getting what I need to get here in Norway. Um, 
but I can see how an experience like that would crush a new immigrant to this country. Yeah. There are quite a few, well, not quite a few, but there's a, there's a, there's a good number of, of refugees from different countries, right. whether it's Africa or, or certain Middle East countries, but there's a certain amount of refugees here who have a lot of trauma in their background, who, right. who are not from a Western culture. So I can imagine them having more difficulty assimilating into the Norwegian society than what I had. For me, it was no issue to, to you know, in spite of, in spite of those racist incidents, there was no issue for me being an American to, to fit in here in Norway. But if a Middle Eastern refugee with all kinds of trauma, maybe a different educational background, if they experience not being able to buy a home where they want to live, that can crush them. That can ruin that family for generations. Housing is so important when it comes to yeah. the success of a family. And um, yes, so that, that surprised me. And I think that would surprise a lot of people too. That is probably yeah. the most surprising thing. Now, having said that, I don't think Norway is rampant with racism. Right. It's not that I experience, right. I don't experience racism often here, but I do experience it. It does happen. Right. And I have experienced more here than I did back home. So wow, that, 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 is that would crazy. probably surprise people. Yeah, um, that would. Another thing, I don't know what else would surprise people about Norway. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of people who don't really understand where Norway is <laughs> geographically. <laughs> I've had people, oh, yeah, is that, is that the capital of Germany or, <laughs> or, you know, or they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll assume that Norway is part of Sweden or something, or right. they'll ask me what language do they speak in Norway? Well, <laughs> they speak Norwegian in Norway. Right. I, I don't, I don't right. know. I don't know what, I don't know. Is there anything you want to know about Norway? I've been here long enough to know pretty much everything there is to know. Yeah, I feel like I've been forcing them, like, since I got, got on the internet, like, in the late 90s, and I've always oh. had friends from all over the world, you know, in Switzerland and areas like that, and um, I feel like I've, as someone who lives in these little mountains and is happy not to leave, I feel like I've gotten a good enough cultural experience that yeah. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really have a whole lot of... Um, willful ignorance i guess left about uh, most places and you know what yeah. kind of experience they will be having but you told me that and that was really surprising for yeah. me because yeah you know, i wondered how you know you you, you said you grew up in ohio uh, in ohio in the, we're, in the world. yeah yeah oh we lost your sound again is that back there we go now you're back um yeah, let's just continue. You had asked me uh, about where I grew up in Ohio. Yeah, I grew up in rural uh, northeast Ohio. I, uh, Akron would be the, the the closest big city. Right. The reason why I was asking that is because I don't I don't think if you asked, um, I don't think you'd be able to find like a young black man in this area that has an experience. And I, I probably wouldn't even call light racism. I mean, this is of all things. Um, and I'll briefly mentioned it, but one of the things that, you know, one of the like fights I used to get in as a kid was with white supremacist Aryan nation, uh -huh. KKK, neo-Nazis. And there was a large group yeah. of these kids that I grew up with. And sometimes, you know, the, the 
the dynamic groups of friends, you know, this neighborhood and that neighborhood, you know, sometimes they would cross over and I would find myself like at parties with these people. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, I'm probably kind of scary to like somebody who may be with me, especially, and I understand men because, you know, I, if I if I start running my mouth, maybe they feel like they have to get involved. Uh-huh. My husband has very much learned that I do not expect that. <laughs> um, but there were, you know, I was some pretty wild experiences here with, um, you know, coming across a group of uh, Aryan Nation dudes with uh, mohawks and tattoos yeah, that were yeah. up, jumping a young brown person yeah uh, male or female and had to physically jump into things like that and that was just that was just a part of my childhood childhood here yeah i don't to, to the best of my knowledge now my, my high school years are a blur for me i was a mess i was depressed all the time now my sister has a totally different uh, experience of what our small town was like during our high school years, but for me, it was depressing, and and it, it just sucked to say to say it bluntly. Uh, but within all of that, I didn't experience a lot of racism. Of course, I knew there were certain kids who, you know, wanted to throw the n word around there. Uh, right. And I used to when I was younger, like in my pre high school years, uh, I would fight <laughs> because of that a lot. Right. So, so those kind of attitudes and that way of thinking was there, but I never saw that that ultra crazy neo Nazi KKK type of right. type of viewpoint. I, I didn't see that yeah. in our part of Ohio. I know it's out there. Uh, yeah. You know, as an adult, I see what's going on. I know it is there. Um, yeah. but I never experienced it like that. It was more of a thing where, you know, if, if I was dating, uh, a girl, uh, a white girl in high school, I would see the reaction of some people. I would see the reaction maybe right. of her parents or, you know, whatever. Uh, and that was pretty much the extent of any racism that I saw as a kid. I, you call it racism light, <laughs> you know, Yeah. <laughs> if there is yeah. such a, if there is such a thing. Yeah. I actually um, have have a really like really round time experience where, um, just like you mentioned, uh, you know, when we were young, we had this place, a warehouse, where all the kids came to party. Shouldn't have been there, you know. <laughs> Nowadays, the cops would kick the doors in on that place, and it'd be done. <laughs> um, but you know. I had, you know, I guess people know, people know who I am. And even the people who I didn't agree with, you know, knew that if anything like that happened, I'd be the first person yeah. jumping in. And I actually had an experience where a young man came to this warehouse. And, I mean, these are like guys with six-foot-tall green mohawks and right. you know, tattoos, yeah. tattoos before kids should have tattoos. And... um and he was the only person there that wasn't white and everybody kind of knew this guy as you know he's okay nobody's gonna just attack him yeah but as soon as as soon as he spoke to a guy's girlfriend that was it i mean he, he literally just spoke to her and, and what happened 20 guys 
jumped right on him. Just for speaking and to her. Just for speaking to her. And of course it was the, he hit on my girlfriend. He didn't. There were clearly, you know, 30 witnesses standing around in this area. And I ran and I jumped. Actually, I looked at a, a friend that was next to me and we both ran in and kind of jumped in there and pulled people off and yeah. pulled this guy up and his, um, pulled him up and he was, I mean, he was terrified and he said, you know, thank you. I, I need to leave. And I was like, you know, don't leave. Just stay in here for a minute. And, uh, you know, I, I'm here with you. Me and, you know, me and my friend are here with you. Nothing's uh -huh. going to happen. Uh -huh. Get your breath. Don't, don't go jump in your car. Messed up like you are right now. And then he walked away. And three years later, this is one of them losses that I write about in the, in the, in my book. Um, three years later, this guy was in the car with another, with his friend that was driving when my best friend who was asleep in his car was being driven by another person, uh, jump, jump the, the concrete barrier on uh -huh. 581, which is an interstate and hit this guy's car head on. Oh, my, best, my friend died. The guy driving my friend's car died and the boy driving his car died and wow. come, come around and a couple of years. I mean, and I knew when I heard the guy's name who he was, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's that guy!" Yeah. And a couple of years later, we come around, and I believe it was MySpace. It was a really long time ago uh -huh. that we come across each other, and you know, he was like, "I remember you," and I was like, "I always remembered you, man." You know, <laughs> um, you don't forget things like that, and uh, you know, he was. He was just really a really kind person. He, he was kind of a kind of a comedian himself, but we just had this connection over the fact that, you know, the way he put it was, you know, you didn't let me run out of there. Right. And yeah. I kept thinking about how thankful I was that I didn't have to run out of there, and I didn't really understand what he meant at first. And he talked, you know, we talked for a little while and he finally said, you know, something that I couldn't really understand, which was, you know, maybe you don't really understand, but the, you know, running with like the, the dogs of hell at your feet or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and not ever having to do that was important to him and wow. who he became as a man. Interesting. That, that he never had the experience that he could have had. If we weren't there and, you know, physically got involved and, you know, why did we do that? And I was like, there's never going to be a case where I can just sit and watch something like that and not do anything. There's it's kind of sad that he would be so surprised that you did do that. It should be more common that people do what you did. It should. It should and, be. Yeah. You know, That's deep. I had an That's experience deep. when I was a 12 year old where, I kind of had to face down those hounds of hell myself where 20 people were standing around and I had to make a decision about whether I was going to do something or not. Okay. And yeah. I, as a 12 year old, I, I remember thinking, you know, well, the options are I do nothing and I can't live with myself. 
you know, I, I'm not going to be able to sleep if I don't do something about this. And I do something, and these people kill me. And at 12, I don't even know where it came from. I thought, they don't have the guts. Now, was this uh, was this some sort of confrontation with another with another yeah. racist group? Or, or Yeah. Okay. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what it was. Okay. And like I said, I was 12 years old. I was just like, well, you know, I bet my life on the fact that they probably didn't have the guts yeah. to get involved. And, you know, I've spent a lot of my life betting like that. And <laughs> yeah. I kind of joke with people, but it's, it's, it's sad. It's not really funny. But usually the people that do things like that, the Aryan Nation and the KKK and these people that would go out, you know, they're the cowards. They're the biggest cowards I've ever known in my life. A lot of them I are very cowardly. Run from me, and I'm very small. I'm I think out. I think a lot of them are cowardly. When you see them uh, with these, you know, whether they're a clans a clansman with the full full outfit, and what is it? Their faces yeah. are covered, or you see a lot of these neo Nazis that will wear, you know, a bandana covering half of their face. What are they hiding from? Don't yeah. you believe in your own ideology? Yeah. Why would you want to hide? Yeah. Show your face. Stand yeah. up for what you believe in. And the fact that they don't do that tells me that there's a certain uh, cowardly, uh, a cowardly element in those organizations. There is. And like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm five foot two. Okay. Two. Well, I, I've had a guy that was almost seven foot tall just physically throw me across a parking lot. I mean, there's been some serious altercations here, and that was one of the few. I've had far more people literally run from me around a car or, you know, run yeah. away at the thought of getting hit or hurt. And, and you know, I'm like, you, know, you could go and, like, with 10 of your friends, punch another person. But you're but the one-on-one -on -one confrontation. Yeah, the one-on-one -on -one confrontation with a five-foot-two woman is too much for them. Too well, they much. have a, they have a mob mentality. I wonder how deeply mm -hmm. they truly believe in what they're doing if they stand alone and analyze it. Con uh, you know, uh, and the converse of that is that they are not thinking really about what they're doing. They're just part of the group. They're part of the herd. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Well, I had a question for one of them. You know, not only how I was, but. Uh, Every kid uh, in, that grows up around here is going to come faced with, you know, are you going to join my side kind of thing? Right. Are you going to be with us or are you going to be alone or are you going to be with them? Mm -hmm. Because then, then the most, you know, then you're the race traitor and things like wow. this. I mean, this. This is just life for kids who grow up in probably a lot of Southern towns. Um, and even as a kid, I remember being asked, you know, basically, whose side are you going to take? And and my question back to him was, what do you have to gain from anything I do? You know, what is your gain here? What? That's a good question to present for? to them. Yeah. And nobody could ever answer me. And, I, it, you know, I never really understood anything beyond the fact that if you just want me to hate some, to join you in hating someone for absolutely no reason, you know, what are you gaining from that? One more person that can be as miserable and scared as you? Because I'm not scared. And I don't well, well, there's there's some of these there's some of these leaders of some of these um, 
far right or these some of these racial groups who are actually pretty good at, and I'm not saying I agree with them, I definitely disagree with them, but they are very good at explaining their rationale. They're very good at explaining their cause, but they are the rarity. Most yeah. followers of people like that, most of these people who follow that far right, that, that quasi-Nazi, that racist uh, element, they put no thought into it whatsoever. If you ask them why they believe what they believe, they can't answer you. They don't have a coherent uh -huh. answer. They never have an answer. Never. And just to ask, and it can enrage them. And, oh, yeah. And make them feel cornered like they're Absolutely. being put on trial. Well, look at, look, yeah, well, look at what you see in today's society, especially since uh, uh, President Obama's time as president. If you even bring up the issue of racism, you will be shouted down. For even yeah. bringing it up. Why are you bringing mm -hmm. that up? Oh, you're race baiting. Oh, you're trying to talk about something that's not a problem. And, and they don't have any rationale behind yeah. it, but they will shut you down for bringing yeah. it up. That, that's a pretty common phenomenon on social media. But these oh, people really? put no thought into that stance that it they're is. taking. No thought whatsoever. Right. Now, it's pretty, one of the most common things I deal with actually is exactly that. Like, uh go on a uh, local news site and there'll be the uh, um i can really no other way to say it just racist bigoted folks just openly you know yeah. just being nasty and yeah. things and of course i'll have something to say to them about that and you know i, I didn't uh, kind of some pretty biting sarcasm at times <laughs> and and without fail I will say something that will kind of either embarrass them for not being, not having an answer or being ignorant. And then I'll go on my merry way. And yeah. those guys will never confront me right there in that thread. They will come to my timeline and they'll find a post that I made and say something there. And uh -huh. yeah, they, it's like, and I, I kind of call them sometimes. I'm like, you know, why couldn't you take? Why can't you deal with this in public? I mean, is there a reason why you would come to my wall where you can say something privately yeah. back to me? And it's just, you know, it, they're, they're the ones that intimid are intimidated. I'm not. I know that I they have show their fear by not speaking openly in the appropriate forum where they can be heard. They show their fear by coming, you know on a smaller platform or coming with yeah. a private message or something, they're showing their right. fear when they do that, regardless of what yeah. they respond, they are showing their fear. And they're do showing you, that they don't know how to stand alone. Do you, do you ever fear for your safety, your physical safety? Um, yeah, there, there have been times where yeah, maybe things have gone too far. I've, I have had a lot of death threats. I don't take most of them, seriously for a lot of reasons one of them being that just to be blunt nobody's getting to me where i'm at i live in the cul-de-sac at the end of a 35 house neighborhood full of armed t-billies so <laughs> no matter what i'm a neighbor and i live here yeah. and as long as i'm here in this neighborhood they're not letting anybody get to yeah. me yeah they're, nobody's getting this far right um but in a, you know i don't know Literally since that conversation I just had where I looked up and said, they're either going to kill me or they're not, I, I, to, to sometimes a dangerous extent, just lost my fear. And uh -huh. 
I want to say that that's, uh, you know, sometimes it's stupid. I, I understand, but it was kind of the most freeing thing that has ever happened to me where I just said, you know, I'm not going to be put in the position where I'm scared to talk or I'm uh-huh. scared to stand alone. You're and a tough my experience little. in that has made me to where I'm used to that. That's You're that's a tough little woman. And, and it serves me well. Maybe the I bet it helps. does. It seems to be. But, absolutely. Better better but, that than live in fear. There shouldn't you yeah. I think a lot of people's there's there's people out there who have a lot of good things to contribute, but they're afraid to say it. Yeah. That's true. So there's and, a certain um, amount of freedom in not having that fear. And then you can express yourself. There is, there is. And there's a there's also people like my husband that are like, you know, we go out to the grocery <laughs> store or something. We went to the grocery store a few weeks ago and there was like these I don't know what to call them. Three dude bros wow. that were harassing this old hippie guy. You know, and they, they were like bullying this dude. And these were adults. And the, the old hippie guy was probably 60 years old. And they were just, yeah, you know, going at this yeah. guy. And I kind of walked by. I kind of stopped and I'm like, what are y'all doing? You know, <laughs> what are y'all doing here? Are you just sticking on this guy? You know, and just like, is this high school or food line? You know. And, you know, my husband's like, you just come on, just come on. I'm like, I, what are they doing? You know, I need to talk, I need to talk with your husband because I think we can find <laughs> comfort in each other's experiences. I, my, the main reason why I stay big and strong and in shape is because I'm, I'm waiting for that day when my wife is going to say something that gets me in that fight. <laughs> and as I say that, she has just walked into, the, <laughs> she's just walked into my office. But she, it's that, Snoop, Snoop is the is truth, me. isn't it? <laughs> and you hear her laughing, she knows I'm talking the truth. I got to yeah. stay in shape because of her, her, her mouth, her, her, her lack of an ability to stay silent in key situations is going to cause me to have to fight somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so funny. And that is, that is his life. We were just talking about the first time we went out on a date ended in <laughs> me having to ask him to help get me out of this house oh. while this dude was like jumping trying to fly through the air at him and i was like just don't leave me here alone with these guys and that was literally the our first day chivalry is not dead <laughs> <laughs> but he is yeah, he he is a hippie in spirit too. He's passive and loving, and he sounds I'm like a guy I would really enjoy being friends with. <laughs> he sounds like a guy yeah. I'd really enjoy being friends with. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Well, your wife sounds like somebody that I might want to go out to food line with. Oh, she she's the best. She's the best. She's very very outspoken. Um, not to a fault, but she she is outspoken. She will say what she means. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm the more diplomatic one, but then that brings some balance into our relationship. You know, she'll, she'll stick her nose in certain things that I won't, even though I should, right. if you know what I mean. So, yeah. so it brings balance to things. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, it does. And I have people sometimes that'll tell me things like, you know, you know, I wish I could be as brave as you. And I'm like, you know, don't, don't wish you were me because when I'm done, yelling at the dude bros in food line i need the peacekeeper too yeah you know, I absolutely need, i need that person to, to say hey it's time to go yeah. and, you know you know I, I always try to remind people that that uh you know, there's fighters and there's peacekeepers and every single one of them are, are needed 
I'd like to be a fighting peacekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not so good on that part, but like you said, we kind of balance each other out to yeah. where... Well, we need both. You know, we need the fighters yeah. and we need the peacekeepers. Yeah. Yeah. Now, well, that's you, how our first date ended was him fighting my fighting my way out of a <laughs> out of a house. You ladies gonna get us fellas in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So this has been a lot of conversation right here. I uh yeah. I don't know. I like I said at the beginning, the, the the things you post online and the way you post them with the humor that you put into it is to me it's to me it's a work of art. There's an art form oh, to being you. to being able to express oneself with that kind of humor and precision yeah. because your humor and the things you comment are based on fact. Right. You're not just throwing shit out yeah. there on the wall and hoping yeah. it sticks. You have a purpose with what you're with what you're putting out there and I love it. It's very yeah. entertaining and very enlightening, I think. That's a good <laughs> that's a good combination. Thank you. I think, I think it's the fact-based things that when we were talking about how I do have like two or three, like I got a friend on my wall that I've known since I was nine that is just a, you know, stereotypical 100% Trumper, everything that you would imagine and all the rumors that you might yeah, hear. Yeah. Um, but it's that fact and the fact that, that he knows me, he's known me since I was nine. And he knows that if he comes for me, that he's going to have to, you know, yeah. do his due diligence and yeah. read a book yeah. and, yeah. <laughs> and get a citation. And, and so that kind of keeps those, you know, from ever coming for me in that kind of way. And if that's how, you know, people are, usually I'll let them stay because most of the things I say really are for them. Yeah. They're to entertain me and you, but <laughs> but the message is yeah. for them. It's for the I, yeah. I see that. You know, I'd like to get. Um, I'd like to have someone who is maybe uh, some sort of neo-Nazi or some sort of uh, you know serious racist. I would like for them to give me a piece of their literature because you know these people have some literature floating out there. Give me a piece of your literature, right. and I'll give you something to read. Let's read and discuss. And I wonder yeah. how many people would take up that challenge because, as we said, a lot of those people, they just don't want to discuss anything. They don't have any substance to their ideolo ideology. Ideology. That's a hard word when you've been speaking Norwegian for 20 years. Ideology. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't. Um, so that, I, so like I can see you trigger, you trigger a lot of people with your yeah. facts, you know, with your, yeah. with your direct attack. Right with the weapon being facts you you yeah. um you trigger them you put them up against the wall yeah. and they don't know how to get out of it so they they react with anger they react with um yeah and, and i'm i'm you know I, I never go into that not expecting it but just because of the experience i've lived yeah. uh, i i'd be more surprised if i didn't get that um and i've had like you, you know we're talking about like death threats or threats I've had, like, a few years ago, I had an incident where this guy was somebody that I grew up with and someone who I had gone at it with before over uh, these different issues. Yeah. And um, I caught him on the local site talking about uh, 
minorities getting welfare. And I was like, well, you know, that's really weird that you bring that up because I remember when you used to sleep on my couch and spend your welfare on your beer, you know, your drunk snacks while your mom was taking care of your child and they were supposed to be for him. And of course, he lost his mind. I can imagine. but there wow. was no way that I could sit and watch him. He's such a hypocrite. I mean, yeah. this, was, this was you a few years ago, man. And you and had to call it out. You had to call it out. Not, I could not. And of course, you know, I, I don't, I don't go like, Hey husband, uh, that crazy guy that we grew up with <laughs> that we all would, would get a gun and maybe shoot some people. I just really made him mad today. Yeah. But that guy spent a year after that, making videos about me. A year um, making videos about you? A year making YouTube videos about me, about just uh, <sighs> the problems we had had over the years. And what a, um, he started calling me the leader of Antifa in Renwick. And I was like, Wow, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Wow, um, wow. The, the way this ended was. The most hilarious thing, it it almost brings me to tears every time I think about this because, I mean, this guy, these guys were open carrying, okay? Okay. They had an open carry protest group that would go up and down Orange Avenue, the main strip in my town, and I knew they were felons. Okay. So, it ended up, there was 13 (sighs) of these guys... It ended up, and I, I had nothing to do with this. But it ended up, they got they got caught. the The cop that was issuing them their permit to protest, yeah, ended up finding out that only like four of them were legal to carry a gun. Well, their protest ended. Of course, this guy thinks I did that, and he goes home that night, and he's got one of these flags that sit, that has the um, semi automatic rifle on it yeah and it says come and take it <laughs> one of those flags yeah yeah he's home the night after he learned that his protest was canceled and someone come and stole that come and take it flag off of his front porch and again of course he thought it was me right day he wakes up and makes this video and this man is crying like, huh. you know, really overly dramatic. Yeah. She come and took my flag, and I woke up that day, and I watched that video, and I was like, you know, I just could not stop laughing because this big, strong guy that has to open carry to show how big and bad he is yeah. gets busted being a felon, and he can't do that anymore. And then he goes home on the worst day of his life, and someone comes and takes his come and take it flag. <laughs> and... I never bothered telling him it wasn't me, but I, I didn't s- tell him it was. <laughs> well, I think that's good that she didn't tell him that it wasn't you. Let I him, let never. him, let him continue thinking. Yeah. So these, these, uh, these YouTube videos that they were on YouTube, right? These videos he was, he was making. They were on, they were YouTube videos, but they were on his wall. Um, Did they get pulled down yeah. afterwards or? They could have. Uh, the last I checked, it's been like three years. The last I checked, there were still Two or three up, but I mean, this guy would get up every day and just, 
you know, I lived in his head and yeah. I didn't really do anything but present him with his own hypocrisy. And, and that is a powerful okay. position to live in someone's head. But he put you there. You yeah. didn't you didn't invade his head. He put you in there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, he was just talking about how you know, and I was like, Wow, you know, so you just hate people that were you 20 years ago? I mean, these are young yeah. people he's talking about. Yeah. A lot of people that have grown up like that. I, you know, I depended on help for a long time, but yeah. I would never turn and look at the, you know, the young people these days that are dealing with some of the things they're dealing with and call them down for the same thing I had to do to get along. Yeah. Hypocrisy. I, Hypocrisy is an ugly thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And that brings me to the, I think I figured out, haven't quite put it together, but I think I figured out something about the two Corinthians thing. Oh, yeah, you said enough. that. Are you sure you I'm want to put that out there? Person, but, my, but I was raised in a church, uh -huh. and I, I know, know the Bible. Me and my husband sat here the other night and read... First of all, we watched the video. We watched that old video where he says it. Yeah, let's let's tell the listeners what we're talking about. Now, uh, yeah. a, a while back, uh, Trump was leading, I believe it was one of those uh, congressional prayer breakfasts or something like that. It was at Liberty University up here near where I live. Ah, it was Liberty okay. University, yeah, yeah. Gary Falwell, in yeah. his, his city up here of Lynchburg. And in it, he mentions um, Liberty, and he mentions... Um, He's going to read a passage from the Bible. From right, he's going to read Second Corinthians three seventeen. I don't know if you <laughs> know what passage that is, but it is mind blowing. If you go read it, please go read that tonight because it you will be blown away that he chose this particular passage. But instead of saying Second Corinthians three seventeen, he said two Corinthians. And I mean, like I said, I'm not, I don't, I don't go to church. You know, I'm not a religious person. And even I know that that's, that's wrong. It's not how Two you say it. And he, and he said this at Liberty University. It was like, <laughs> I remember I'm seeing, from, even the religious people call these people crazy. You know, well, I remember seeing him seeing the video of him and as soon as he said two Corinthians and on some of the, you know, the, of course there's different news agencies that were filming and on some of them, you'll see their, their, their camera angle is more on the crowd than on Trump. And some of those people are like, what did he really say <laughs> two Corinthians? <laughs> well, that I mean, is, and think about that. We looked at that and it ended up being like, it ended up being a couple of days before the election actually. And we were like, wow, so the, and the passage is literally about speaking false language of God, yep. and it's about bearing false witness. Prophet. It's about Paul, and yeah, it was, I can't imagine a worse passage for that particular person to pick out to read to anyone. It's almost like he does, it's almost like he did that intentionally to try to I don't know, to try and be funny or to try and be sarcastic. It's Because, yeah, it's mind-blowing that he would choose that passage being that the man way. that he is. We, we, you know, to, Second Corinthians is so short, there's like 17 passages, yeah. and, and we could not stop laughing when we were reading. It's like, <laughs> we would read a passage and just walk around the house laughing, going, why did he pick that? What is he doing? And then we, my husband said, you know, I wonder what would have happened 
if in you know these everybody there is coming days for the election he says two corinthians and then people i don't know here but i said you know some people still vote in churches and things like that so people literally just walked into the polls and voting booths and and chose that who listened to that and we both wondered how things would have been different if instead of saying two corinthians he had said two amendments <laughs> Thank you. Wow. I mean, you know, I, we we think that would have made them angrier. I think it would have actually. They would yeah. feel offended. Oh, the, he said two amendment. Doesn't he know yeah, it's the second amendment? How can he offend us like that? The what? second amendment is so important. He should know it's the second amendment. Amendment, not the two amendment. Actually, costed him voters. Think about the two it. Corinthians didn't. Two Corinthians didn't do anything. Well, they yeah. still. Well, look at the support he still gets from the evangelicals. That man is far be it for me to judge a person's religious uh, beliefs or non-belief. I just don't do right? that. But I, I, I struggle to find the godliness in that man. I struggle yeah. to find the basis upon which evangelicals support that man you know i i I would never really understand that myself i've got a sister um and she is the definition of evangelical my mother was an evangelical fundamentalist Uh so you know these are these are the his voters um you know to a t and she actually had come to me one day not long after that and was like, you know, everybody says that. And I'm like, no, they don't. Nobody <laughs> says that. Nobody ever says that. Yeah. But, you know, I can't, I will never be able to wrap my mind around how seemingly, um, not, I'm, I, I joke a lot, not, not everybody around me is just great dumb. You can't, you can't imagine how it, it's like a daily, on a daily basis, seeing people that you know know better. Yeah, just completely lie to you in your face, and it's a sad. That you know, you know. It's a sad development in our society. It really is sad. It is. Oh. Um, my husband talks about the whole tribalism issue all the time, oh, gosh. and how things have. It's like things have swung around so hard. Like I said, yeah, like I said at the beginning of this, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like I said, like I said at the beginning of this episode, why can't we go back to that time where it was okay to discuss? And the key word is discuss politics and discuss societal issues. Now there's no discussion there's accusation, there's yelling, nobody wants to listen to the other side. Yeah. There's such a thing as alternative facts now. What what the heck happened? Yeah. What the heck happened? Yeah. Exactly. And you know, I joke with my husband all the time because I was raised in a family that that we didn't hide things. I mean, no. you know what? If something if somebody did something ugly to somebody else, all five of us might stand in the middle of the living room and just yell and point our fingers and you don't do that to me mm-hmm. until we were all done but what we never did was just you know to call each other names i was never called a name no. by my family no. anyone in my family yeah. and we didn't just walk away and resent each other i mean you know you, you say what you gotta say and you know i've 
been kind of debating people for a good portion of my life, and I've never felt attacked by somebody telling me a fact. Yeah. Yeah. I welcome the discussion. I love to discuss and debate. I love it. Uh, and I, and I, but I miss the ability to be able to do that. That's actually one of the main reasons why I started this podcast, because I want to be able to talk and discuss in a way that I choose to do, which is an open way. And I want, I want to, I want that flow to go both ways because I miss that in my day to day life. It's, 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 it's almost taboo to bring up certain subjects. People just don't, people don't tolerate a conversation. They don't, they don't tolerate a dialogue anymore. Yeah. And you know, that, that subjects being taboo thing is, gets us in a lot of trouble. It's gotten us in a lot of trouble as a country itself. Yeah. And it, it ends relationships. It tears families up and you You should be able to, you should, I'll never be. Yeah, no, people should be able to talk about whatever they want to talk about. I in, in my st- in my stand-up routine, I talk about everything and anything. I even have <clears throat> jokes or or bits. I wouldn't call it a joke, but I have a bit yeah. that goes uh that's that's based on my son's death from an overdose. Right. Uh, and right. I sh- and I and I should be allowed. I see I see the reaction of some of the people out in the crowd where they, you know, kind of twist their face up and they're like, Ugh, did he really say that?" And, and my answer is, yeah, I really did say that. Yeah. That's my way of, you know, let, let me say what I want to say. You can yeah. interpret it however you want to, but let me say what I want to say. And I miss, I just miss people having that freedom uh, that they should feel when it comes to having dialogue or putting their opinion or their thoughts out there. I miss it. It's gone these days. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I just, Crazy. Yeah. It, it's not how I was phrased to just, you know, hide things because it might hurt somebody or make them mad or call you a name. Yeah. Luckily for me, I got over being called names way early on to where it just, if you go there, then I know I won. You know, <laughs> yeah. I know well, well yeah. Yeah. And I try to look at it that way as well. If someone loses their mind and gets all crazy with name calling and whatnot, well, there's one more debate that goes in my uh, win column. So, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I was going to, I wanted to ask you uh, not really so much a question, but, um, you know, you, I we talked about you being a police officer and where Mm -hmm. you were, um, do you have any like main memories or anything from your experience as a, a cop in America that you carry with you? Traumatic things, you mean? I mean, it could be just as traumatic as it could be miraculous or wonderful or either way. I mean, it's um, yeah, yeah. There's, you know, I like I told you, I was a uh, basically a country boy from Ohio who uh, now I had done four years in the Marine Corps, so I, I gained a certain amount of experience there. So I get out of the Marine Corps, I truck drive for 18 months, and then I end up as a police officer in the suburbs in uh, Chicago, in the Chicago suburbs. Uh, what years was that? I'm sorry, say again? What, what years were you, I mean, I was a police what, o- about what year? I was a police officer from 96, early oh. 1996 until late 2002, almost seven years, late 2002, wow. up until right before we moved here. 
Um, <clears throat> so even with those four years of experience in the, in the Marine Corps, uh, when I started living and then afterwards working as a police officer in the Chicago area, that was a big change for me because it was a city mindset that I wasn't used to. Right. Uh, a big city <laughs> mindset that I was right. not used to a level of that, that experience of being exposed to the criminal element in such a drastic in your face way, as you see in Chicago and in some of the suburbs there, that was yeah. a big eye opener to me. And it took a, it, it took a great effort at adjusting my mindset in order for me to, 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 to fit <laughs> Uh, but, but I made that adjustment rather quickly, and in a very short period of time, I became a uh, detective. I was a narcotics and gang detective. Wow! And things got things got pretty exciting. Uh, I was able to work with a certain amount of freedom. I had a partner who had, by that time, I think he had been a cop already for at least was he a ten like a ten year veteran at that time. For quite some time, anyway, he had been a cop for quite some time, maybe not 10 years, but he was an older, more experienced cop. So he kind of guided me through uh, what I needed to be guided through in order to be an effective gang and narcotics cop. But that, tran yeah. but that transition from a rural, suburban Ohio mindset to, to, that, to that south side of Chicago suburb gang and drug mindset was pretty... Wow. It was a period of growth. I'll put it to you that way. It was a period of growth, and I miss that job. I miss it terribly. I just got a phone call. I was just on the phone. Um, I don't know. I guess since I'm not, since I haven't had that job, for me it hurts to think about it because I miss it so much. So in that process, I haven't had any contact with those guys that I used to work with, guys and ladies that I used to All work right. with. But a couple weeks ago, I was on the phone. I did get uh, a friend of mine reached out. He was a, another detective that I worked with. He, he now is a supervisor at the supervisory level, level in the U.S. Marshals. Oh, uh, yeah, he's a boss in a, in a certain district in the in the U.S. Marshals. So it was great to talk with him and catch up and just the flood of memories and emotions and feelings and stuff came back. So I've been kind of floating around in a very positive way, floating around in that for the last couple of weeks since I talked to this, 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 this uh, former colleague. Um, but those were some formative years for me. Uh, I got I have a lot of. Yeah, one. Of the, in fact, the last day I was on the job, my partner and I, um, there was there was a robbery at a store in our in our area. So we go, you know, lights and sirens in our little undercover car, uh, and we and we see the 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 guy, the robber, running across the road. So then we stop the car, get out, jump on him, or jump out and run after him. And uh, we ended up tackling him, getting him to the ground. Turns out the guy, he was the guy that had robbed the place and he had a gun on him. So that was like my, that was the end. That was my very last day right. on the job. So that's how things ended, just with that level of craziness right. and excitement and whatnot. And it wasn't like that all the time. You know, there's a lot of shifts. I worked primarily at night, primarily from six in the evening to two in the morning. Uh, so there were some shifts where we just kind of, you know, we were always on the prowl looking for, you know, those <laughs> elements. But sometimes we didn't right. find anything. Sometimes it was dead and boring. And but there were also moments of excitement. Yeah. So do you have to be like a real adrenaline 
to love her to do that kind of job? I think so. Uh, and I am an adrenaline lover in the sense that I love a challenge. Yeah. I like to put myself out there. I like to jump headfirst into situations and see what I can make of it. I enjoy a challenge because to me, right. challenge means an opportunity for growth. Challenge doesn't right. mean a problem for me. It's not a problem. Challenge is an opportunity for growth. So <clears throat> that adrenaline thing, you know, the, 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 you know, chasing a stolen car yeah. or, or working a case, trying to find out who did it, you know, the classic who yeah. done it type of, you know, that whole thing you know there's a certain uh, there's a certain rush that that i got from being in those in those situations and for a while after i came here to norway i it, i felt like there was a big hole in my life what's my purpose now what is my you know i've always known who i am and who you are is the most important thing but also what you do is important so i had that thing where i had to fill that hole of what do i do now you know, where am I going to yeah. put my essence of who I am? What am I going to use that for? Um, so that was an issue <clears throat> for for a while after after I moved here to Norway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I think most people who were cops, you know, who left for whatever reason, probably say something very similar to that that they, you know. I don't know, kind of the same feeling people get when they re retire and just can't stand the thought of not being able to get up, go to work every day. But I wondered, did, did from your experience being a cop, is yeah. there anything that you learned about this country that was not positive? I learned that the war on drugs is a bunch of BS. I learned yeah. that arresting someone who has a tenth of a gram of crack cocaine in there on them in their possession, it doesn't do a doggone thing to arrest them. Right. Yeah. Um, I learned, and I, and I guess within that, <clears throat> if I can take that line of thought a little bit further, uh, I would like to see, I wish that drug issues in the States were treated more as an illness rather than a crime. Yeah, I'm not saying that uh, that cocaine and things like that should be legal. I'm saying people right. who are addicted to that. I wish there was more yeah. focus on treatment rather than Absolutely. arresting, because it's it's clogging up our legal system. It's clogging up our prison system, and it's not helping people at all. And shouldn't we be right. interested? Some people say, "Well, screw them, put them under the jail," but. I don't see what that does for our society. If you're a true patriot, you would care about the, the smallest and weakest of us in our society. So in that, right. in that sense, I would like to see more of a helpful attitude instead of a punitive attitude towards people who have drug problems. Um, yeah. Now, I felt that way long before I was aware of my son's uh, heroin habit. Right. But since he died from that overdose, it has just cemented that way of thinking even more into my brain. I truly yeah. believe that it is a sickness and not a crime to be addicted to a drug. I 100% agree. And that kind of thinking is, you know, obviously the kind of, you know, ideology I have that puts me at odds with uh, just put them under the jail people. Um Drugs and its infestation in my city, yeah. and losing uh, a, someone I deeply love to a heroin overdose 
in 99 maybe um she made it my need to get out of the city too you know as a yeah. big part of it for me my husband was just you know, there's no escaping it and there's no not watching it um and you know of course you know i'm old enough to kind of remember what the drug war did to this country and yeah, to other countries yeah. that that we invaded over it and and how it's still affecting us with the immigration and sure. and, and all of those sure. things so you know a lot of people don't really know or don't seem to remember that the sanctuary movement was started by the religious right yeah. in response to back Reagan's to facts now back to the facts yeah of central american countries for his drug war there you go and the ones that that felt so bad that we had basically given their leadership enough money to kill more citizens than our own civil war killed of ours yeah yeah and the whole uh, the right got together the baptists the catholics they all got together and made the sanctuary movement themselves to protect the people fleeing from the war and destruction that we caused well i uh it's just been a sad development you know to be to be a, a, a narcotics detective in the uh, middle and late 90s and into the 2000s <sighs> I mean, I had a great time. I was good at what I did. I had a great time at that job. I loved the the adrenaline aspect of it, the challenge of it. But I see, like I said, I see how those small arrests for the individual on the individual who's got yeah. a individual's amount, you know, for their own personal usage. Yeah. I see that, and and I don't see the the sense in criminalizing that. However. Yeah. I would I would like to see and thinking back on how we worked and and seeing what I and knowing what I know now, I do believe that um, how do I say this again? I don't think we should legalize drugs. I, I think quite the opposite. We should be going hard at after the people who are bringing it in, and we know who's bringing it in. But yeah. I think I think the efforts to stop it. I think it's a ruse. I don't think there's a serious effort to stop it coming in. I right. believe we should ramp up that effort to stop it coming yeah. in while we at the same time decriminalize right. uh, these, these small amounts that people are in possession of. And we, we, and we make it a law that these people have a right to treatment right. when they're an addict. I absolutely. I'd love agree. to see that. I've, I'd love to see that. I've had, um, you know, my husband and I had a young man that, you know, we don't really get close to a lot of people because we live out here for a reason and and we try to avoid exactly what we left running for, yes. which was was really just having to watch some of the things that are just desperately sad and tragic of our own family members and friends. And um you know, on the on the same nation of what you're saying there, and about your son, and about so many of the people that are lost to all of this, um, the the two people that that I've lost in my life to heroin overdoses, they were literally the best people I've ever known. I can't even I can't puts, even express. They were better people than me, and and I can't believe you know had their lives together and yeah. 
you know, this is not did it, a how did it, weakness. How, how did they how did they start down that road? Was it after some sort of medical treatment where they had a prescription for uh, for painkillers, and then it just kind of blossomed from there? It was okay. There we go. Oh. Them it was and and you know I've. I've been on pain medication myself, and I'm probably extremely lucky because I have a long, I have a lot of addicts in my biological family. I've got a cousin who pretty much lives what you're talking about, which is getting caught for a little bit of drugs and then going back to jail. And yeah. there's never any help. There's never any treatment. And I 100% agree that it should be treated as a medical issue because it is a it medical issue. It is a medical issue. issue. Absolutely. It's a medical issue. Uh, and very often, not just the, the physical addiction, but there's also a mental aspect to it. Some people need sure. some mental help uh, in order to beat that uh, that addiction. Yeah, and I, I just think almost it's always. Yeah, almost always. Issues. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just think it's pathetic. It is pathetic and a doggone shame that this is not being looked at and dealt with appropriately. It's a shame. Yeah. We, we, we have the power uh, financially. We have the resources to do it. But for whatever yeah. reason, we choose not to. And I'm not going to get into conspiracies, but I do believe yeah. that there is a reason why our um, leaders <laughs> uh, yeah. cho choose not to do something about this. But it's pathetic and we suffer because of it. People die yeah. because of it. They do. And they do, they suffer a lot on the way to that, too. Yeah. and. Like I said, the the and it can the happen to anyone, that, and it can happen yeah. anyone. As you say, they were strong, good people, and and and, and so many times it starts with a, a prescription. You know, you get an operation or some sort of medical procedure. You need painkillers. You get those painkillers, right. and then that opens the door, and you're down that yeah. path, and 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 before you know it, you're right. an addict. And there's a flip side to that too, which is now the kickback to that is. I had open heart surgery in uh, five years ago, mm -hmm. um, and I had I went in for an angioplasty, and they woke me up and said, "You need to have open heart surgery right now." And I said, "Whoa!" And I kind of lost it because I've been through a lot of pain, surgeries, and things in my life. And the last couple times was under, you know severely under-prescribed medication. I had a hysterectomy, and they sent me home with five pain medications. Oh, and, come on. Oh. And I literally spent, I mean, I, the year before I had heart surgery, that pain was so bad that when they looked at me and told me I had, heart, I had to have heart surgery, I said, I'm not doing it unless really? someone in here... I refused until someone promised to manage my pain after heart surgery. I said, there's no way, man. I mean, the, Why did they the leave you hanging? was crazy. Why did they leave like, you, you hanging? You're going to saw my chest open and give me <laughs> Tylenol? Why did they leave um, you hanging like that after the hysterectomy? Why didn't they properly uh, medicate the pain or treat the pain, it, rather? It, it was in... Insurance? It was, it was crazy because now they're... It's not only a problem of worrying about a patient becoming addicted. It is a problem of the nurses and others who are already addicted and they're you know taking medication from patients. Wow. It's a it's a big issue. Me and my husband were just talking about that the other night and I was like, I wasn't gonna have that surgery. I went home to die. Because wow. I didn't there was no way that I was gonna do that. The, it, and 
know, I, I even asked the doctor if strong medications aren't for someone who had their chest cut open. Who are they for? So what changed your mind then to make you have the surgery? Um, uh, you'll probably enjoy this. My husband loves this. Uh, I was really giving them hell about, you know, they were like, you can't leave. And I'm like, oh, I'm leaving. <laughs> um, and they were, of course, like, you know, you're going to die. And I'm like, well, I'm going to not die in pain then. And they go, go get doctors such and such. And in pops, the, by this time, there's like 20 doctors and nurses in there and like pleading with me. And they're like, well, yeah. if you're going to leave, you got to sign yourself out. And in the room pops this little redheaded surgeon. They sent a redhead after me because I guess they thought that he was the only one that could fix the situation. Or hey, redheaded doctor, go in there and talk redheaded talk to this redhead, please. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they sent a redhead to save a redhead because Is that what it takes? they clearly couldn't handle it. <laughs> and ultimately, he promised, um, you know, he said, uh, you know, we will manage your pain. We'll put you on this medication uh, after surgery and until... You know that you're over the pain, and and ultimately, I did the surgery. And three weeks after I had the surgery, uh, my husband couldn't even tell me for three weeks. I mean, we've been we've been together for 25 years. Yeah. And it took them three weeks to come and tell me that I had coded during that surgery. And as they were putting wow. my heart on the heart lung machine. I had coded right then. That's how close I was. Wow. A second. So they didn't tell you this until sometime afterwards. Yeah. Oh, the surgeon didn't come out and tell my husband as soon as the surgery. This happened. She's okay. Everything's okay. Uh -huh. You know, she, she's in the recovery room now. But yeah, they told him that immediately after the surgery. And it took him three weeks to even get those words out to me so how did you how did you react when he told you that then I, i'm i guess probably like most people would just you know wow that was super close and i really was gonna die i mean there was they weren't joking when they said wow. if you walk out of here you might die tonight how, how did you feel how did you feel i'm sorry to interrupt how, how did you feel what? going into the surgery i mean before they told you that you needed open heart surgery, did you feel anything? I mean, you were in there for an angioplasty, so you must have felt some kind of symptoms. How, how were you feeling? What did you feel physically? Um, what what made you want to go in and, and do this angioplasty and see what was going on? What led the up to that? Weirdest, the weirdest thing, because I am a believer in science and not woo, but I tell you, I knew something was wrong with me because of my dog. Uh -huh. I felt weird and I felt different, but my dog would come up to me and this is not, he's not a trained in no. anything. He's no. just a mud, you know, that he was a puppy. We gave away that we ended up uh -huh. getting back because the person didn't want him. He would come up to me and he would push his nose on my chest, right over my heart. And he would cry and pace. And I knew I felt a little weird. And I didn't really, you know, I, didn't, yeah. I never had a heart attack. No. I never had a heart attack. No. So I didn't go through that. No. And I had called and was like, you know, I think I'm, and then I had to tell my doctor this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm like, I think my dog thinks there's something wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> and I need to get an appointment. 
and the appointment <laughs> got strangely canceled. Okay. And she calls me and she's like, did you cancel your appointment? I'm like, no, I need that appointment. And let's make another one. And I'm like, my dog is really bugging the hell out of me. I mean, he won't stop crying in my face. And he was, he knew, he knew I tell something you, I, was wrong. I, I totally believe in animals being able to see that something is wrong now now i'll never i'll never have a dog because i can't have somebody or something that can't wipe their own butt in my house (laughs) but (laughs) but i do see the value in having dogs you know for companionship or for guardian you know to guard or whatever but but i you you read all of these instances where dogs and sometimes cats will um you you know you hear about people who have cancer liver cancer or something and they have a cat that will always come up to them and lick them on the side of their abdomen right where the liver is turns out you got liver you know some sort of liver problem or kidney or whatever or in your case a heart attack they know they can feel they can sense something i knew because he had done this the year before over my hysterectomy issue And, and I'll tell you what, now when that dog comes for me <laughs> and starts acting weird, I'm like, I freaked out. I'm like, whoa, I need to go to the doctor, you know. And you, say, and you said you gave that, that dog, dog away? Me and you said you gave, and you gave that dog away when it was a puppy, you said, but it can't, but yeah. you got it. Well, good, good Lord. <laughs> you better think twice before you give your next dog away. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We gave him away and got him back, and then he wow. turned around and forced wow. me to save my own life because I felt weird and I was having some symptoms, but it wasn't anything that I would have, I'm not a, I'm over into the hospital kind of person. Okay. A, yeah. You know, I've got, I got to be missing an arm and thinking I'm three seconds from dying before I will sure. get in the car and go to the emergency room. Yeah. But yeah, that dog would not stop. Wow. And, well, thank goodness for and, those dogs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that was that was something else. I mean, Maybe I should get a, a dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is not trained. I don't, I don't know where he he picked that up. But no dogs. Yeah, uh, well, they 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 have that sense. They know. Yeah, he he really does, and he's yeah, he's still like he's he's the kind of dog that like knows more than he should, like language wise, like. I've said things to another person in the room, like, I wish this dog would leave me alone. And he will get up and run across, walk across the room and throw himself down and huff and puff. He just Well, I think they can sense, you know, they, you know, I I don't know. I've never been a dog owner, but I can imagine with the, with the, you know, intelligence that they have, they can sense mood and dogs being social animals like that. They can sense your mood. So that dog yeah. probably felt that you were kind of you, you stop hurting, yeah. stop hurting your dog's feelings, well, Joy. While while I'm on Cut this subject, because <laughs> this is the this is a very important thing, especially for people my age and older. The one symptom that made the symptoms of anxiety and a heart attack are literally the same. They're the same. You wouldn't know unless it was massive pain. You wouldn't know the difference. So when you've got an anxiety, you know, you're, you feel like your chest hurts a little bit, it's a little yeah, hard to breathe. Yeah. Um, you're stressed. Maybe your left arm hurts a little bit, but the one symptom that I had that made me 100% sure that something was really wrong was that it felt like someone was grabbing me. Like, you know, if somebody's ahead of you and you reach out and grab them by right above their elbow to pull them back from something. Yeah. It felt like somebody had me around, it felt like a, 
a hand was around my arm right there. And I tell women that specifically because women have wildly different symptoms. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And that was the strangest. And the one thing that made me know something wrong was somebody might help me. I don't know. I have... uh, and, you know, when I, whenever I die is whenever I die, and I don't go around with a lot of anxiety about dying. Yeah. But one way that I hope I do not die by is by heart attack. It just seems like, oh, my gosh, your heart stops. Right. That, that's just a concept. There's just to, to try and get my head around that. Okay, my yeah. heart will stop beating, and I will know that my heart has stopped ble- beating. How do right. you, how, how, oh, my God. Oh look, yeah, I can I can't talk about this when my husband's around. I kind of have a healthy, as healthy as you can get, um, outlook towards death. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the kind of person that can talk about it, and you know, every once in a while I'll say, you know, I might fall down in time. My husband's like, don't say that. And I'm like, <laughs> it doesn't bother me to say that. No. Um, but yeah, it, it is pretty strange because all of you don't think about a little bit of panic, you know, I'm a little anxious. You don't think about that until you've had your chest cut open. <laughs> and uh, and and then it's, uh-oh, you know. You know I, I, I grew up watching um, Sanford and Son. Yes. <laughs> and the big I one. had a lot one. of Red Fox moments, you know. Uh, Think yeah. this is it. <laughs> this is and the just big wait. one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to join you, honey. <laughs> yeah, but I, I I get through it. A lot of it, I get through it, and you yeah. see it because the anxiety comes out in yeah. you know humor and. Well, it's medicine. Laughter is medicine. They say that. That's the old cliche. Laughter is medicine. And that's one of the reasons why, I don't know, there's a lot of reasons why I started doing stand-up comedy. But what I have realized since I've been doing stand-up comedy is that it is very therapeutic. If I have something on my mind uh, and I'm having trouble expressing it in my day-to-day life, well, let's see how I can get it into my stand-up routine. Right. And then that whole process, that whole process of thinking it through, writing a little bit about it, there's some therapy yeah. in that. And then there being able to lot. turn that anxiety or that frustration or that pain into humor just yeah. heightens the therapeutic effect of it. So It does. And sometimes you help yourself the most by helping someone else. Oh. Like... Absolutely. When you give out that, when you give out that laughter to someone else, yeah. and yeah. they come back to you, and you know, well, it's a really bad day. And you're just really, really made I, me crack up today. I had a that's, woman, that's yeah, I had a woman a few a uh, few months ago come to me and say <clears throat> that she had been through. Um, uh, she had experienced some death in her family, and the way I touched on that in my routine, she said that gave her comfort. And that meant yeah. a lot. That meant a lot to me. Um, yeah. I guess my first intention with my with my comedy, with with anything I do artistically, whether it's writing, whether it's music, uh, or whether it's my stand up, my first intention has some selfish origins, and that is that I'm trying to help myself through yeah. something, or help myself interpret something, or help myself. Um, uh, express something but in that yeah. process when I see when I get that feedback from time to time that it has also helped someone else that tells me that 
when I put myself in a healthier situation, when I'm stronger by helping myself, that puts me in a position to help someone else. What do they tell yes. us? What do they tell us on the airplane? You know, when the mask falls down, put your yours on first so that you can yeah. help the child or whoever's sitting next to you. Yeah. So, um, I'm just putting my mask on first so I can put the mask on someone so else who it needs it. It sounds like you were maybe raised by someone who was a lot like my mom because that's kind of how I was taught that you can't really do for others if you don't take care of yourself first. Well, my, my, my upbringing, my biggest influences, my mother, my aunt, and uh, my grandmother, uh, you know, three ladies <laughs> right there yeah. who, who um, gave me that, foundation of not being selfish that foundation of trying to to be the best you can but within that that means giving to to, yeah. to, uh, to others and then i've just built on that through my adult life and i and it gives me a lot of pleasure it gives me a lot of comfort to live the way i do yeah um you know with a focus on on self-improvement but also on improving things for those around me and not just those yeah. around me, but also reaching out to people who maybe are outside of what would normally be my circle yeah. of, of, of influence, right. you know. You have to yeah. open your eyes and reach out beyond your comfortable little circle, you know. Un uncircle the wagons. Sometimes you got to circle the wagons for protection, but you mm -hmm. open them up again and see what's out there, you know. Yeah. yeah. I, I do know. I, do know um, I was like uh, painfully shy as a kid. Uh -huh. Like. I mean, up until I was seven or eight years old, I might cry if somebody looked at me too long. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I didn't speak to anybody. And I very quickly learned, I taught myself to be the opposite of that. In other words, you know, instead of sitting and, you know, keeping everything to myself, which, you know, to be honest, I was perfectly content to do. Yeah. Um, a couple of those losses, and they, like in the book that I was talking about, a couple of those losses taught me, you know, you, you got to say it now. You got to say right. something now. Yeah. And I took the little shy kid that was scared to talk and learned to compliment people. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people my age still can't take a compliment or. Oh, I see that every day. Yeah, I see that every day. Yeah, that was like that was like the honor that I could do to the parents who kind of swooped me out of being a born an orphan and dedicated their everything yeah. to to giving me you know talk about lucky you know there's a lot of like foster kids in this country and yeah yeah um, they don't end up in good situations and as a former Police officer, I'm sure you know that when they age out in the first year, 80% of foster kids go to jail. Yeah. And I could have been a real tragedy, but I actually got a couple of the people that really just wanted to love someone. They didn't want to check. And those people they are didn't. out there. Yeah. Yeah, I've worked in. Um, I worked also as a juvenile, uh, as a juvenile officer, as uh, when I was a police officer, but also here in Norway. Um, a few years ago, I was working in. Um, 
I was kind of like a gun for hire in child and family services. Uh, based on my previous experience as a police officer, I was able to get a job doing that for a while. And um, you see some you see some beautiful stories. Um, there's kids that I worked with in different situations, uh, you know, 10, 15, almost 20 years ago after I came here to right. Norway and I see them now and they're adults and they have families right. of their own and they're doing just fine and things work yeah. out. So there, there are some good f- people out there who want to help children. You know, I've seen it, but then there's another side of it too, where a lot of kids get forgotten and kind of left by the wayside. And then they hit that adult life with all of those feelings of abandonment and yeah. uh, those kids are out there as well. Not not to end things yeah. on a on a sad note, but, right. but, but those kids those those kids are out there as well. Yeah. We need we need more. I don't know. I, w- I wish we would turn our priorities uh, uh, as Americans as a nation. Turn our eyes inward. Yes. <clears throat> so that I we know. start taking care of ourselves. Forget about all this yeah. foolishness happening in the Middle East for a while. And let's look at it now on that. I can agree with a lot of people on the political right and that we should be less of an interventionist nation and more of an isolationist nation and that we should get yeah. our house in order. I absolutely agree and with that build too. Up and build up the funding of certain social programs that can yeah. help families in need, but especially children in need. It's a shame yeah. that we have a country uh, that is as great as it is. It is a great country. Make yeah. America great again. I, do, I Let's just drop that whole phrase. I don't think we need to make America great again. We already are great, but we are in that yeah. within that greatness. There's a lot of issues that we need to work on, and they're just not getting any focus. That family thing, that thing of taking care of the family unit with the focus on the children, if we could fix that, that would just do wonders for our country. I truly believe that. It would. Yeah, I it would have to experience you have and an experience I have with being around other yeah. you know, foster kids and yeah. seeing how, you know, I, I 100% know that I got to be the person that I am because I had support. I had yeah. a support system. I had a parent who wouldn't give up on me. And believe me, I, I pushed it because I was a typical adopted kid who was dealing with uh-huh. You know, dealing with uh, issues of abandonment right. early on, and right. I, and I feel like because of that support, you know, I had parents that would, you know, my mom re- read me books about adoption when I was five years old about how, you know, I was chosen. You know, all the things that parents are supposed to do to pick their children up, and instead of push them down, uh, you know, we could be doing that for every kid in this country if, like you said, the resources were used on looking well, inward instead exactly of we have the money for it money. but you know let's take some of this uh money that we're using uh it's kind of fun. I, I i laugh at these people who are so anti-socialist and yet is it not a socialist move when they are subsidizing farming and the oil companies and this that and the other and okay maybe some of those things not maybe but some of those things have to be done to a certain degree but can we screw down that level of socialistic yeah. support for those companies right. and put it to the people you know right i don't think it would take that much money to double the budget for foster you know foster care programs Double right. that budget right. and then see what that will do for these kids. 
Yes, so much. And, you know, on that, on that end, one of the things that you just mentioned is kind of why I ended up um, in liking the music genre that I, that I like. And you know what? That was, uh, that was Chuck D, Public Enemy, yeah. whose, message, whose message was always, you know, as consumers, as citizens, we're taking care of these businesses yeah. and these businesses need to be in turn taking care of these neighborhoods and these people and citizens that are supporting them. And, you know, I not, not, not to the point where I just don't stop making sense, but I have a lot of libertarian ideas too. And most of uh-huh. them fall in line with that exact thing that, yeah. you know, that, uh, maybe we shouldn't have to co- completely trust on the government to, Pay for all these things we need. Maybe some of these multi-million-dollar corporations that are breaking in the profits that everybody works for ought to be doing a little bit more for the neighborhoods that they're taking care of them. Yeah, I'd like to. Well, you know, think think about Amazon and Walmart and whatnot, and how uh, little right. how little they pay in taxes. Uh, okay, if that's the case, then then wouldn't it be very easy to, 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 to assume that they should have a responsibility to take all that money that they're doing, uh, not all of it, but a good chunk of that money and put it back into the communities in which they have hired people. For example, just, just by, just by giving people a livable wage at Walmart, yeah. just if they would just do that, yeah. imagine what that would do for our nation. One company giving their people a livable wage. Look at all the people who are employed by Walmart and they're barely making it, if they're making it at yeah. all. Maybe they're working at Walmart, but they also have two other jobs in order to make or, it. Or they are actually they actually have to live on food stamps because exactly. Walmart is subsidized exactly. by, by our money. Exactly. They, they, they use it to not pay their employees. Walmart has a socialist subsidiary that the people are yeah. giving them, and then they're turning right mm-hmm. back around and guaranteeing that their employees have to be on food stamps or that they yeah. don't have medical coverage. Yeah, that's that's one of those questions that I hit some of the, the welfare haters with, and they want to know how much money is coming out of their checks to pay for food stamps well i think on average for the average working middle class i think i think to pay for food stamps we are we pay about 80 dollars each a year yeah yeah and taxes, That's but we pay walmart about 800 dollars a year thank you but see but see you, you throw a fact like that in front of someone who is, uh, you know, anti-social programs. You throw that fact in right. front of them, and it's almost like they ju- it just doesn't register in their ears. Forget about what registers in their brain. It doesn't register that you have just pointed that out to them. They'll just talk around right. it and then continue with their right. own propaganda. Yeah. Amazing. Every time. Every time. Well, I mean, honestly, thanks to a lot of those people that, you know, just absolutely refuse to read I probably have read more and picked up more and learned more. Like I said, I, I I can talk about battles in the Civil War that I never wanted to learn about just because the person I was debating absolutely refused to. <laughs> so, well, I tell you, facts yeah. facts is a uh, 
good weapon. <laughs> facts is a good weapon against a person uh, that that you're debating against. Um, you know what, Miss Joy? I want to yeah. say congratulations. I do believe this episode has been over three hours. Oh wow! Or coming up on well, three hours, wow. and maybe it's two three, two two hours and forty five minutes, roughly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do have to let you go. I have a uh, yeah. a beautiful wife who worked night shift, and I want to say hey <laughs> to her before she goes to sleep. Yeah, but, I let my husband in from the building in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you say hi. Well, you say hi to that gentleman. I, I, I get the impression just from a couple of times I hear him talking and exchanging a, a few sentences with him. I think he's somebody I would really enjoy uh, getting I think to know. Y'all live in mirror lives a little bit. Yeah, we probably are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to I want to say this before I let you go. You have an open invitation on my show. This has been this has been an interesting conversation, and and I've I've had a desire to meet you and get to know you from the very first post that I saw from you on Facebook. So this this for me is 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 a it's like reaching a goal. I've I've always wanted to talk to you, and since I started the podcast, I've always wanted to have you on as a guest. I appreciate that. And the post I made earlier about really liking people, have people around me who refuse to be what they're supposed to be. Yeah. And that, that's important to me. And it's, it seems like I've found that person in you. And oh, that's I'm, beautiful. I'm, yeah, really happy that we've gotten to talk. And, and, um, yeah, that's the, that's the kind of people that I, that I like having in my circle is people well, that refuse to. Just be what everybody else wants. Yeah, you know, you got to you got to find your path, and you've got to walk it. And I and I, I'm a firm believer in that. I work hard at not caring what other people think. I haven't quite gotten there, but I still, uh, but I'm working at it. But uh, regardless, I'm going to do my thing and 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 enjoy myself while I do it. And I like seeing, yeah. just like you, I like seeing people who are doing that. It's it's uh, it's a beautiful thing to watch. It's like an art, you know, it's an art form. To live, to, to live your life in in that way. So, yes, and I I really I really do finally get when I try to tell you that uh you know your music was uh wasn't just music, it was a really beautiful soulful thing, and and learn tonight why that is, and it, it ah. really good, and I hope you continue to do that because I think I think there's probably a lot of people out there that'll that'll feel what you, what you're putting in there. Well, thank you for you. saying, thank you for saying that, you know, as much as I love my podcast, as, as much as I love, um, stand-up comedy, my heart is in the music making thing, the writing and the recording process. Uh, I have four singles out there, but more is coming. The whole, the, my whole album project got put on hold yet again. Uh, when my son passed that just that rocked my world and everything just stopped yeah so that's why there's only been these four singles so far but i have started recording again i do have more songs that are finished and and very soon that album project will be finished yeah so well don't uh, stop doing that no that's that's therapy the, it's medicine for me yeah. to do, to do them to do my music that's where my heart is the love that you're putting into that music is someone else is going to feel that when they need it Thank and you. That's really Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. That's beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. Sure. I kind of, I kind of, like I said, when I do anything artistic, for, first and foremost, it's a selfish undertaking. It's so yeah. that I can work out things. 
but again, when, when someone says yeah. things like what you just said, that, that touches me. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank you. Absolutely. Yep. Miss Joy, yeah, you are Miss Joy, you are a beautiful soul. <laughs> You are. Thank you. I feel the same way about you. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to talk again soon, but uh, okay. get yourself some sleep. Maybe you'll be seeing a Virginia yeah. sunrise. Maybe you'll be in bed before <laughs> that. But, well, uh, I'll probably see this one. <laughs> well, be blessed, <laughs> and we'll talk again soon. Okay. Thank you. All okay. Right. Bye. Good talking to you. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. Wow. That was a great episode. I really enjoyed talking to her. Miss Joy Linsky, everybody. Thank you for being with me on this episode. Bye, everybody. I'm coming home. Oh, I'm coming home. I'm, yes, I am. Yes, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Yes.